he's back. Who are you? My name is Bond. James Bond. Sean Connery as James Bond, 007. In Ian Fleming's Diamonds Are Forever. episode of James Bond and Friends. This week, James Bond has been really busy because QBranch set him up with a new account on Parler, <laughs> so he can find where the villains are now. <laughs> so, I'm your villain host, James Page from MI6, and this week we are doing Diamonds Are Forever as a watch-along. Uh, David can't be with us this week, but we are blessed and, uh, to be joined by Phil. So we have Bill, Phil, Calvin, Lisa, and Ben. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spy Command, and people say I have the body of Henry Cavill, but if he ever found out what I'm doing to it, he'd be madder than hell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm Phil Nobiel Jr., editor of Fangoria Magazine. Today I'm wearing my Orlebar Brown Diamonds Are Forever Terry Cloth Camp Collar thing. Very cozy. My wife wife seemed to think I need a gold chain around me, though, because it's, it's not translating well. Uh, but I think I look exactly like Sean Connery. <laughs> uh, uh, this is Calvin Dyson, and I keep the Calvin Dyson YouTube channel, which is still going at the moment. Yeah. Uh, the copyright police haven't got me yet, so uh, yeah, I might not be saying that next week, but for now, it's all still there. Defund the copyright police. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, Dr. Lisa Funnel. I am an associate professor uh, at the University of Oklahoma. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond. I'm the editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond. And today I am drinking Immunity Green Tea. It's got Japanese matcha, green tea, echinacea, and elderflower because allergy season in Oklahoma sucks. Well done. Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Ben Williams. Uh, ben. I write for uh, MI, MI6HQ.com um, and, and MI6 Confidential Magazine. Um, like Phil, I, I've, I've decided to uh, honor the occasion by wearing um, a, a brown uh, bikini set, uh, which I should be <laughs> <myself with. laughs> I'm going to strangle you with it. Yeah, <laughs> we can reenact it. Uh, oh, so. the dream, the dream. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up and ready to go. All right. Um, so this is all Calvin's fault this week. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Pride Month, everyone. Like, th- pride. Uh, it might. <laughs> yeah, and, and what better way to celebrate than watching the uh, the most uh, camp bond of them all, probably. Mm. Well, just a really quick note. In real life, around 1970, Hollywood got serious to a degree that, well, gay people are out there. We need to depict them, but not nece- but not in a bad way, or at least – anyway, so around that this time – didn't make it through to Eon yeah. Productions. <laughs> I was like, this is not – Eon was like, what, this? <laughs> 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 
I'm thinking of a couple TV examples, which I won't go into, but uh, things were definitely changing in real life around this time. And this isn't the best representation of that, admittedly, but uh, <laughs> but it's true. So, you ready, everybody? Three, two, one, play. <laughs> <laughs> very good up in your game i like the re i like a little bit of reverb on there that's, that's the key that's the key because he growls after he roars so every week sounds like a cartoon dog when you folks do this <laughs> so so Connery's back and barry gets out the electric guitar for the gun barrel but connery is not filling a new gun barrel no, he's in black and white as well, isn't he? <laughs> I refuse. But and that kind it, of a shiny effect on it is new for Connery, isn't it? They yes, did it with yeah, Blaze yeah. and being the last one, and yep. I think it's a new kind of filter here. And and speaking of things Connery couldn't be bothered with in these first couple of scenes, <laughs> it's Bob Simmons. Like, well, we gotta yeah. like we can't let Connery get any overtime because that's gonna cost <laughs> us a lot of money. So yeah. we don't, don't see the Bond's budget. face anyway. Oh, and great line. Bonk. Kai. Kai, Cairo. <laughs> <laughs> Which in no time to die is what? What? Wakefield. <laughs> I cannot say. Cannot be asked the same question three times. Um, that would that would be great if he if he actually did that. Ask I had to ask this dude. Oh, and we know this is times. in the Middle East because everyone's wearing a fez. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can I interject a, a serious point here, though? Yeah. I have an issue with this little component here where Bond, he comes up to the woman in the gold bikini. But what he does to her, I find that's a little problematic. He rips off oh, yeah. her top, kind of exposes her breasts in the process, and 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 starts choking her and 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 sort of takes away her voice or ability to speak. And it's it's violent, but it's also sexualized violence. And I understand revenge. And he certainly was avenging with the other two people that he interrogated there. It's just it's a moment where I'm like, whoa, I don't think I'm okay with this. Um so I just I wanted to highlight that okay there's Yeah, yeah. It just it doesn't feel good or or right. Or warranted. It's a little out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is definitely the Sideburns movie. Yes, oh, it is. <laughs> and also, uh, coming up, we have two henchmen that were in Majesties. Um, yeah, yeah I, sort of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> intentional or not. <laughs> is that the only other time Bond wears a surgical mask? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently this uh, was mashed potatoes and it stunk right. after day two. Oh, can you imagine? Yeah. There's a bit coming up where the guy has to fall back into it and he's going in like his head's tilted way back. You just know it's like going in his nose and everything. And I'm like, oh, yeah. 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 so much. Ooh. Uh, has anybody on. actually done a mud bath? Have any of you I've done no. a mud bath? I'm dying to. I kind of want to try it. Absolutely. I want. I wonder if this is just the the. Obviously, I guess this is taken from the novel where um, Winton Kid um, torture right um, the shady, yeah, with, yeah the race track with the with the mud bath, which I think actually is a really uh, you know very. Uh, it's a pretty powerful piece of writing. Um, it's always made you know the that torture scene always kind of uh, really made me. Um, Wince. 
Um, okay, so both of those guys, the two guys flanking Blofeld, they both were in Majesties. One was Terry Fountain, Man. who was in uh, one of Draco's men at the pre-credits. And huh. then the other guy was one of Blofeld's henchmen. And also, yeah. they traded in the um, Spectre logo for Thunderbolts. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's not <laughs> I great. I've never noticed that before. Yeah. I love, I love that, that the way he puts his hands up there. You know, it's yes. just so, so camp. This is what I mean about camp. I don't know what... Like, this must have felt so jarring for people coming into this after Majesty's Secret Service like a couple yeah. of years earlier. Just such an abrupt change in tone, <laughs> even with right. the films like prior to Majesty's. It's like it's on a whole different level. I think part of it was Connery's back. And that's what... That's certainly how the studio sold it. And... Everyone was so excited. Connery is back. Yeah. And then like, it's like, not till you've seen it, maybe even a couple times, like, well, wait a minute. What about that? <laughs> you were so overwhelmed by Connery is back. But it's part of a larger sentiment really of, of this is, this is where this franchise becomes comfort food here. We're yeah. going to give you Connery back. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about that other movie. And, uh, and Shirley Bassey's back. And, it, and it's the, it's the pivot into your dad's franchise really. Well, also, a real quick note about the uh, titles here. So this movie essentially had dual crews, one for the UK and one for the US. Uh -huh. So if you like look in the titles, you know, for a number of jobs, art director, set decorator, stunt mm -hmm. arranger, assistant director, there's a Brit and there's an American. Now we're watching a print that was uh, originally done for the UK audience. But in prints for the U.S. audience, the Americans were got top billing and the Brits were second billed. Oh, um, that's interesting. Because I, I have a VHS copy of this that was done off an American print. And when it was on TV on ABC, they had an American print. Yeah, Derek Cracknell, Jerome M. Siegel for assistant director, yeah. for example. Um, yeah, because they, I think it had to do with work rules in the, in the U.S., to be honest. Yeah. Um, but and, I mean, you and real quick, when we get to the stunt arranger credit, so you've got Bob Simmons, you know, the original stunt coordinator, and then Paul Baxley, he's like the patriarch or was the patriarch of this American stunt performer <laughs> family. And uh, occasionally in uh, previous episodes made passing references to the A-team, Paul's son was Craig Baxley, who was like the key, the major stunt arranger for that show and other TV shows. So Ooh. minor trivia there. The other part of having two cruises, they were on a very, very, very tight schedule, weren't they? Because for every day they went over, they had to cut a check to Mr. Connery. Right. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Right, because he, he was going to get 10,000 or more each week they were over schedule or something. And, and I think that comes into play with the confusing climax of the film, to be honest, because I think they had a more elaborate thing planned out. It's like, ah, screw it. We got to get, get the movie done. <laughs> get it in the can. Yeah. So yeah. in some universe where David Picker wasn't on his game or Connery was a little bit more grouchy than usual, we'd be seeing John Gavin. Mm. Yeah. Yes. As or, an American, or, or would he be doing Reynolds? Um, you know, I think they were going to like fudge it, and it's yeah. like well, they were they were going to kind of Americanize Bond to a degree. At least they were they considered it. Um, yeah, they flirted with it in the eighties too. It's such a yeah. It seems unthinkable, but they keep yeah. trying. <laughs> 
Um, uh, before, Calvin before made a past, comment. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say before we move past uh, the opening credit sequence, I just wanted to comment on how much I absolutely love the song by Shirley Bassey. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I think as a woman, I definitely connect with it. This idea that, you know, I don't need love and men are untrustworthy and the diamonds luster on. Um, I think that there's, there's, there's elements in there that, that definitely speak to me. Uh, but it's one of the few that, um, when I think of the film's title, I think diamonds are forever. Like I actually, Think of the title uh, within the tune of the song. And to me, that definitely, like Skyfall does the same thing. I can't say Skyfall without hearing Adele. There's something to be said about a really effective title track that I see the title, I think of the song, and everything comes together uh, uh, quite quite perfectly. So I just wanted to sort of throw that in. Sure. Well, real, real quick, Harry Saltzman did not like the song. And no. I guess um, Barry played it for him at his apartment. And uh, Broccoli was there, too. Don Black was there. And Saltzman stormed out. This song is obscene. Stroke it, undress it. What do you are? He stormed <laughs> out. And, and the story goes that Broccoli is uh, trying to calm everybody down. says, uh, do you have some Jack Daniels? <laughs> let's have a drink calm down, calm down everybody um, obviously the song was used and it is considered today one of the best of the Bond songs but I had never of, heard um, sorry I was just going to say I never heard that story until this 2006 documentary on the BBC about they what they did was they did a survey in the UK about what is your favorite Bond song so they went from uh -huh. least favorite to the most favorite and Diamonds was in uh, number two, I think. Came in number two. Great doc. And, uh, and that's the first time I heard that story about Harry Saltzman. Harry Saltzman was always butting in about songs. <laughs> it's just, uh, he I did was just going to say that, Bill. Yeah. I mean, it was almost like, um, uh, you know, if, if he didn't approve of it, then it was probably going to be successful. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he put circus things in there. Mm, delicious rocks we've gone past it but the connery walking down the corridor getting lectured it always reminds me of like a, a kid going to a museum for a school trip and he just <laughs> does not want to be there yeah. just, yes <laughs> that's some classic bond uh, trivia peacocking it's just that when he's just you know coming out with all of these you know facts and whatever just to impress M. we're not even impressed just to annoy him and in fact, M did does an actual eye roll. Yeah. I don't think we've gotten to that. It's like, it's like M. This is your best agent. This is how you know. It's like, who just lost his life. One of the things that I really appreciate about Diamonds Are Forever, both the novel and the film, is showing how the diamond uh, sort of system or industry, at least this version, is being yeah. presented. I had no idea oh, yeah. where Diamonds came from. And so this is sort of a glimpse into um, uh, sort of the steps uh, that that move forward. And what I find really interesting about uh, Winton Kidd, I think there's problematic representation, uh, uh, and we can talk about that. But I do find it interesting that they have their own theme throughout. And mm. it's a very sort of uh, distinctive theme. 
and and I think it's an it's effectively used throughout the film. And I think that aspect of their characterization I really like is to sort of show that they are the force that is to be reckoned with across uh, this franch the, the, this film. But I also do as as we sort of talked about or alluded to at the beginning of uh, this podcast, there is some problem uh, in terms of their representation um, as 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 a hench person couple. I love the idea of having a couple, um, but there is some some stereotyping. Uh, going on uh in this representation yeah well, in the book they were like very thuggish and so mm-hmm. here they camp it up to make it more i'm not sure fun's the right word but uh i think arch- so i mean i mean like yeah. i i i, I want to say i do like winton kid a lot in this film they are probably my favorite sort of elements of the film i think they're really funny and just entertaining to watch i like their little theme all that kind of stuff's really good um, however, obviously from a, a portrayal point of view and not to say that, you know, gay people can't be bad guys, but a part of, especially in Bond, you tend to find, we see it with Rosa Klebb as well, when villains are gay, the fact that they're gay is a part of their sort of unappealing, mm-hmm. a part of their ugliness, and, and that's with these two here. I've heard, you know, people sort of, I think it's fine to like them, like, God, I like them, but it's not a a, a terribly progressive portrayal and i hear people say like oh but they're a couple and they're obviously very much in love and all that kind of stuff and i think because they're not playing it so overboard with the camp people think that Mm. it isn't as uh negative a portrayal as it is but like certainly towards the end we're gonna see um right yeah when uh, bruce glover gets the bomb up in between his legs and he has that little woo moment it's just like (laughs) right yeah Yeah. those gays get it well you know but there's more to that, though. It, it's, it's He doesn't just have the bomb between his legs. That's how he's killed. And we talked about in the last podcast notions of, you know, when Electric King is shot through the heart and Renard uh, has the, the pull through the stomach. There's symbolism in the way that villains and hench people die and there's symbolism in having a bomb explode between your legs in mm. a Bond film. And so that's something to also keep in mind that there's sort of like uh, there, there's there's that representation of the ooh and then there's the explosion and then there's you know bond and tiffany case at the end sort of holding hands so that's i think for me that sort of rounds out that representation where i'm like oh not okay with that part mm. too quick too quick casting yeah, sort of being punished for being yeah mm. um dot and adebayo who does bbc5 live up all night fans listeners in the uk might be familiar with him he's one of the school kids in this scene um and bruce glover wasn't the first choice to play half of win kid paulson uh you you go for well i might be wrong but i thought i heard it was paul williams yeah Yeah, paul williams yes and he could be really interesting he wanted too much money Which they gave to Connery. Right, which Paul Williams was also involved with writing the first take of a Moonraker song years later, oh. which didn't get recorded. But uh, but he got a chance to play a villain on a 1979 uh, made-for-TV movie and was quite good. So anyway. Smokey and the Bandit. No, um, The Wild Wild West Revisited. Right, right. Dr. Michelito Michelito Loveless Jr., because the original actor had passed away. So, anyway. Oh, I think we we all know about um, Lois Maxwell being disappointed that she got this costume. (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, I know it's a kind of a a piece of trivia that kind of everybody knows, but I still think it's quite amusing. 
it's written <laughs> yeah. into a contract that she gets to keep so, the clothes. And her her attitude to Bond in this scene, I have I have a question for you guys because it ties yeah. to also the way M treated Bond earlier, where he's like, at least we can you just at least give me some good solid work now, and then she's like, bring me back an engagement ring. This is a guy who was widowed. Two years ago, violently. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys do you guys think that we are meant to completely ignore on Her Majesty's Secret Service in this film? I think you could so. you could you could start uh, with no, the end of You Only Live Twice and start here, that, and, then, and there's nothing. Uh, I I I, could, I see your point, Phil. But what I would also say is that the entire beginning of the movie is him trying to track down Blofeld ostensibly to exact revenge. Which, so. I think, sure, I think but, it is but the revenge with, part, I think, is subjective. Mm, I think it's on the hot I mean, side, like he always is, right? Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, it, they, they don't mention Tracy. They don't, you know, they don't. I think it's really, quite. Uh, Sorry, I was just going to say, I think it's quite telling that we end You Only Live Twice with Bond in Japan and the first shot of this film is obviously yeah. made up to look like mm-hmm. a Japanese kind of setting. Yeah. So you could sort of say that he's, you know, after Blofeld just because of the events of You Only Live Twice rather than um, just necessarily mm. the wife. I think there's a, a really kind of, uh, yeah, it, it, this is just like business as usual and there is that line about, oh, you're back from your holiday is sort of like a, a slight mm. um, wink at the audience. I think we are supposed mm. to totally forget George Lazenby. I think it took them a while i think it took eon a while to sort of embrace the fact that oh yeah we did make that one and uh, yeah. people yeah. like it so let's, let's say it took him about 30 years yeah <laughs> <laughs> well spy who loved me is the first one that mentions his his dead wife right mm, that's true yes yeah. that's right i went to amsterdam i went to that bridge dragged my wife there <laughs> there's a boat, there a boat at, under the bridge called Rosico. i don't know what that means but i'm just saying <laughs> Oh, so um, cards on the table here. Two cities in the world. If I never have to go back to ever again, I'll be totally happy with it. Amsterdam and Las Vegas. So this film to me, locations, because I have to go to Las Vegas for work every year. It's 20 years in a row. I've been to Amsterdam like 15 times for a week. It's like I'm totally through with these two locations. So that's why I really don't get excited about diamonds because the locations. That's fair. Can I raise a point about the scene coming up uh, about um, the wigs and the hair color use? It's something that I've talked about in my own research. Um, prior uh, in the James Bond franchise, prior to this film, um, they really utilized Fleming's template for for positive or Bond girls and negative women or or villainous women. So Bond girls are usually blonde or brunettes, whereas villainous women, um, most of them have red hair. Whether we're talking about Rosa Klebb and Irma Bund, or we're talking about Helga Brandt and Fiona Volpe, right? Um, and so what's interesting is Bond walks in. This is a new era of of Bond women we're we're going into in the seventies. And she appears with a blonde hair, with blonde hair, a blonde wig. She comes out as a brunette, and then she emerges at the end with red hair. And Bond makes that comment, you know, you know, uh, evil temper or something like that, playing on the stereotypes of red-haired women. Uh, but she says it's my own, and she remains a redhead for uh, the rest of of the film. And so I find it really interesting this play on red hair because you have Tiffany Case who starts out sort of like in a villainous 
kind of figure. We're not really sure what her allegiance is. Bond's sort of working undercover. And she eventually turns out to be his love interest in the film. And so I think it's interesting, an interesting calibration or recalibration or play on hair color that you get at the beginning of this film that really stays true to Fleming's uh, initial vision, to the way that mm. women have been presented in uh, the Connery era to begin. And of course, now pivoting forward, uh, playing on that convention and, and sort of moving past it. Well, I suspect in part, <laughs> I suspect in part, of course, Jill St. John had red hair. She did. She's yeah. colored it that way. So because I, you know, because this sequence plays out more or less as in the novel. And I just, you know, I suspect they changed it in part because of the actress, but that's still an interesting observation. Um, because yes, up until now you've had like Fiona. Well, she was definitely most of, a villain, but uh, most um, most of the the the, the, the female uh, leads have, have had their hair changed from how Fleming wrote it. Majority of them are, are blondes, ash blondes in the in the novels and stories, um, and you know they end up being brunettes or. Or in this case, redheads. So um, I'd have to double check, but I think isn't isn't Tiffany Case blonde in the in the in the? I think, think that's novel? right. Yeah, she is so. definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know so we have that. Some... Tracy is also ash blonde. Um, mm. So you know, quite often they just you know I, I don't know. I mean, if if you're going to kind of say that any hair coloration is stereotypically Fleming, it would be it would be blonde, I suppose. Um, mm. But I do I do see your point, Lisa. I mean, like a lot of uh, it, it's a it is a kind of um, uh, particularly in the UK, you know, you get you get a, a lot of um, anti redhead kind of um, s- statements. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, it's, I, I don't know how much of, of that is prevalent in the in the US, but certainly in the UK you get it. Um, and uh, it's interesting that I, I think it's you know it's it's a, it's a small thing really, I suppose. But um, well, I don't think we can talk about hair color and 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 issues in the Bond franchise without remembering Daniel Craig in two thousand five. <laughs> Real quick, a cameo with the Aston Martin with the uh, MI6 technicians loading a bunch of bombs into it. <laughs> Visual yeah, joke. That. That's amazing. Oh, and, and this is a great visual joke uh, coming up with uh, yeah. Connery appearing to be making out with a woman, but he's just by himself. <laughs> <laughs> Which he was not the first person to do that. I, I saw a bit with Dick Van Dyke where he did the same thing. But uh, oh, I love Connery playing the uh, uh, <laughs> do, doing the accent and everything. It's like Connery can do this. Like we talked about with George Lazenby going undercover and playing a character. Uh-huh. Like here, it feels like James Bond is having fun playing this uh-huh. playing right, this part, sure. which you don't get with Lazenby. And I really like fight sequences well. that you know, make use of, yeah, mm. they, they make use of atypical spaces. I love the small space. You can't really like step back or kick. You have sure. to be able to operate. So I love like small weaponry when it's in action sequences and small spaces because it is such an intimate and it's very graphic um, and it's very compact, uh, the fight sequence. I really like it. And you can see like, I mean, Connery's going for it. 
I mean, mm. for for all the criticisms that he gets coming back and people say he looks like he's he has a little bit more weight or he's older. I mean, I buy him in this scene fighting 100 percent. Well, also, at the time that the movie was coming out, Connery was vocal as saying he was definitely playing Bond as an older mm-hmm. character. And he, yeah. had, he had rejected some of the hair pieces they wanted him to wear because he wanted the hair pieces to be thinner um, mm. than what they wanted. And there was this quote about saying, you know, like, I can't, you know, we all age, I age, James Bond ages. Which, contrary to Sam Mendes saying, I was the first person to have Bond age. Um, <laughs> except, except his eyebrows, well, which are ever young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they just keep getting thicker. <clears throat> That's 41 here, by the way. That's a 41-year-old no, man. You know what? He's yeah, it 40. makes me feel he like shit. As a he did not turn 41 until August of 71, when, around the time they concluded filming. He's 40. Wow. That's that makes me feel so much better about myself, honestly. <laughs> sure. But people, I think it's fair Not to say, saying that. Yeah. men aged quicker back in the day. Didn't they? Sure. All that alcohol. Mm. <laughs> Cigarettes. I don't know. Cigarettes. I'm keeping up with that too. And it's not affecting me. White flower. The white flower. <laughs> Lack of sunscreen. That ages your skin. Yeah. Mm. Fire hose I mean, to the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and okay. So coming up, here, last year. coming up here, we have again about Bond, secret agent. Um, yeah, because he's the world famous secret agent. He yeah. switches wallets <laughs> and this, the James Bond Playboy Club membership. <laughs> and <laughs> Tiffany K seems to know who James Bond is. Yeah, he's famous. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a Mason's loyalty card in there and everything. But doesn't that make you a terrible agent? I mean, I get that. And I there's some films where like, you're James Bond. And it's like, wow, if the world knows you, how effective of an agent can you be then? Well, yeah, I think Roger Moore mentioned that in every single interview, didn't he? After this, after he took the role coming off the back of this film. Was, yeah. You just the got script a- for Casino Royale has, has uh, M yelling at him for get, telling his name to everyone. <laughs> yeah. Because he apparently says who is, what his name is before he kills uh, Malacca in, in the script for Casino Royale. Yeah. And that, that, that made it into the film with uh, the whole uh, Mr. Beach, no James Bond thing. Where right. He's just like, I don't care about these cover names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are the diamonds. And here's the question. So how do the real diamonds get into the U.S.? Elementary. And, uh, yeah, we know this. <laughs> well, so in Mankiewicz's first draft, because after he took over from Maybaugh, um, Q took the real diamonds in, in mm. golf balls, like in the novel, except Q got caught at customs. <laughs> and, they, yeah. and he scripted a scene with this, um, which obviously <laughs> is not in the movie. I don't know if they even filmed it, but... Uh, that's how oh, the real diamonds there. You know, so when Mankiewicz did his first draft, there are more bits from the novel than we would get in the mm-hmm. final film. And that's how, uh, that's how I, he I, envisioned the real diamonds getting into the U S I do love the, the fact that Cubby didn't think that joke was going to land though. The yeah. elementary canal one. Yes. Yeah, you yes. know, apparently, apparently, great two doctors or whatever it was. Yeah, because yes. two doctors left in the audience. Yeah. 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 I mean, to be fair, like I did have to look it up. I didn't know what it was at first. I just thought he was doing the Sherlock yeah. Holmes line, but I don't know why. 
also here where how old were you when you realized it meant up the bum (laughs) (laughs) we just passed it where uh where a kid says i must say miss k seems quite attractive then wint goes and looks at it very jealously we should mention uh lufthansa is the airline which is a break from um pan Pan am Am. because it's been pan am up till then in the novel, the uh, Bond has a sort of dismissive take on American American gangsters, and he referred to them as squirting perfumes on the on, on themselves. And so far, we've had two scenes of uh, Glover squirting himself with perfume. <laughs> right, which and which is how he eventually and which is eventually how he figures out uh, who right. he is uh, later in the pipeline. Well, we're about to see Sid Haig, who um, last year we recorded the uh, in memoriam. Uh, episode and then like when we got done oh we forgot Sid Haig and uh, that's it but yeah he's he gets like two lines in the film but it's like he may <laughs> you remember him for you know yeah particularly I got a brother um, <laughs> he was a little bit of a bigger actor than this at the time wasn't he yes uh, Bill? he was doing a lot of TV at this point um, he was in a ton of TV but this was before he segued into horror films um where he became a big well, star yeah. but uh, he was in he was he all over the place baby, which is a little earlier had a bigger part in um a smoother ride right in the front mr franks <laughs> <laughs> yes i believe i'll sit in front <laughs> of this whole thing um, i think that th- this film gets derided quite a lot but i think the dialogue is so sharp and witty and i love like this whole scene with like uh, the stiff <clears throat> i mean the deceased and all that kind of stuff i think a lot of it is very nice <laughs> sure. and funny well and and this lead gangster guy's name's mark lawrence i mean he was born in like 1910 he was he'd been around hollywood for a long time when this movie came out mm. so uh yeah he's just you know and he's very distinctive looking, you know. Oh yeah, you remember <laughs> every year on his face. God, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Just for those not familiar with the geography, it's a good three hour three hour drive from LAX to here. Um, just a quick word on this location. Uh, that um, that it looks like it's out in the middle of nowhere, and obviously it is at the time. But I've been out to this this spot, and it's now very built up um so i've been to both the locations for 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 slumbering um which are within about 10 minutes of each other um and uh i'm not sure if this interior is a set but uh, the you know the the exterior is i think it is a set but uh yeah it looks very canada um yeah, particularly, yeah, yeah, particularly that big diamond left. design at the on the wall. Mm. Um, can't yeah, see but it the here, actual but when... the actual the actual building from the exterior is also shaped very kind of uh, dy- dynamically like that. Um, so it's mm. quite. Uh, but but I, but uh, I'm talking about the glass that is in the mm. shape of a diamond. That's what yeah. makes me think it's probably a set. But yeah, yeah, you're right. You're probably. I mean, it almost definitely is a set. Now I think about it. But um, this is this is very elaborate, isn't it? The setup just to switch the diamonds for money, <laughs> just to get the get the diamonds out. Yeah. Well, it's better than putting a rubber glove on, I suppose. Um. <laughs> and, and and this sequence may have been influenced by Cubby Broccoli's uh, history of once being a coffin salesman, uh, and of course, Connery, a, co- a coffin polisher. So, 
It sounds like it's a euphemism the, uh... for something, doesn't it? Coffin polisher. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, that so was now very, these that are supposed very quick. These are, I'm about to say, these are supposedly the d- real diamonds, but then we're later told they were fakes, glass. But if they were glass, they would have melted. <laughs> so and yeah, also, they were rather a, polished yeah. for having been an yeah. incinerated corpse. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they'd just, it, they'd just be a bucket of sand. You, <laughs> this is the kind of thing you're not supposed to even think about till you're like halfway home from the theater. Like, wait, wait a minute. Wait a second. Um, so, so you've this been is here another too, location, right, but uh, I've been here. As well. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I have, James. Uh, it's a it's a really beautiful um, spot, actually. Um, I've stood exactly where Winton and Kid are standing right now. I have a photograph of myself standing there doing what? Uh, is it uh, in Vegas? I missed that part. Yeah, it's just outside of Vegas, uh, or it's it's within oh, the limits of Vegas. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a really lovely lovely spot, and it, it, it's virtually um, unchanged. Um, to to Bill's point about the, uh, the 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 window, that it's actually that stained glass window there is is really there. So it's still there. Uh, yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I, I dragged my uh, well, got my fiance to drag me to these places. Um, I think uh, I think a lot of um, Bond fans have long suffering fiancés who take them to locations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, usually it works out for them because it's near some kind of you know exotic uh, beach or something like right. that. But uh, this. funeral home in Vegas, not so much. Yeah, this, no, it's true. <laughs> this um, this sequence was apparently Connery's last day of work. Um, that's right. Was filmed oh, wow. in, oh, in August, of, in, like Literally. August thirteenth of nineteen seventy one. So it would have been like you know he turned forty one on August twenty fifth, and they just left so, him in there. <laughs> that's done we'll slide a check for ten thousand dollars under the door next week <laughs> but can you imagine how horrific i know that we've seen this in different films about being buried alive or plays on this I, this is pretty scary uh the sequence Whoa. i think there's organs going on at the time yes. and i think all of us are, are really concerned like oh gosh is this how connery's gonna go out is this how bond is gonna is gonna <laughs> die Bond's gonna die <laughs> and it, it does with the smoke it's evoking a sense of fear like i don't want to go out that way just wanted to throw it no. out there burning in a coffin not the way i want to go and so no. i i think that it's an interesting scene in 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 this film and now we have Shady Tree to like undo all that tension. You dirty double crime. <laughs> dirty little oh, diamonds are phonies. Yeah. They're getting the they're getting And a Dean lot Martin's of play my out nephew, out. sir. So I'm like, you know, you pay attention to me. <laughs> a year. Two, what did you say, Bill? That he's I like said two years, Dean two Martin years is my, <laughs> Dean Martin is my nephew. So you pay attention to what I'm telling you, sir. <laughs> did you did you say that he's only like a year or two older than Dean Martin Thir- at this point? Thirteen. He was born in nineteen oh three, and Dean Martin was born in nineteen seventeen. Uh, okay. And of uh, course, so oh, and we, and, and we see uh, Sammy Davis in that. Yeah, Sammy Davis is Sammy Davis in there. Yeah, and he Just did a he scene. Was, he did actually shoot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> No, we're talking about the same thing. I didn't mean to. Yeah. 
So that, no, that's a little a bit of, oh, um, is, that, is that a matte painting oh, or an optical effect? It's something, it's, it's, it's uh, a special effect. It's a, I think it's a matte. And um, so it's just the top half of the, the hotel. Um, this whole plot is based around a dream that Cubby had um, where Howard Hughes <laughs> uh, kidnapped uh, or kidnapped or somebody impersonating Howard Hughes kidnapped Bond. Um, right. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm sure that many people are aware of this, but um, Cubby and Hughes were, were good friends. Cubby had uh, worked as an assistant director for Howard Hughes uh, for, for many years. Um, one the outlaw that, specifically, um, yeah, Jane Russell. That's right. Um, and apparently when they met, they met in a Vegas um, bar. Um, and Howard Hughes was doing this trick with a coin where he would flip the coin and guess uh, whether it was heads or tails. And he did it with surprising accuracy. And then he gave it to Cubby to do. And he could guess um, again when Cubby did it. And apparently somebody came over and said, uh, Mr. Broccoli, your table is ready. And um, Cubby said, well, you know my name. What's yours? And he said, Hughes, Howard Hughes. And apparently, <laughs> apparently that's uh, – I don't know. It's a bit of a profitable story, but apparently that's where the, the idea – came to, to to introduce bond in that way so um Wynn and kid are now going into uh shady trees law, um dressing room in mankowitz's first draft they actually depicted how they kill him which if i remember right something like maybe acid out of a flower you know squirting flower or something um mm. yeah but they actually showed it uh in that script but we don't see it here Oh, and here's uh, Bert Saxby, you know, Bruce Cabot, we mentioned before, was in star, one of the stars of the original King Kong. So he was, I think this might even be his last film credit of any kind. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Shady's gone. Mm-hmm. And we're about to meet Plenty O'Toole. Ah, craps. <laughs> and Lana Wood. <laughs> Oh, uh, Jimmy, just another. So obviously, there's, there's connections. There's obviously, a lot of connections between Lana Woods um, and Jill St. John. Um, uh, Jill St. John uh, was at uh, the ballet uh, school, as child uh, children's ballet school, with um, Lana's sister Natalie, um, and obviously. Um, Natalie Wood was married to uh, Robert Wagner and um, Jill St. John later on uh, was married to Robert Wagner as well. So some crossovers there. Hmm. Um, And um, so I wonder if uh, Robert Wagner told Jill St. John what actually happened. I doubt it. (laughs) Oh, Um, it It was walking. So what James Mr. Wagner's is always avoided to, those questions. So what James is alluding to here is um, that um, you know Robert Wagner was was married to Natalie Wood um, and was involved with uh, let's say let's yes twice. First of all, um, she caught him in bed with another man apparently, um, but uh, she was he was involved with her and I'm going to say in inverted commas accidental death. Um, they were aboard their yacht Splendor. Uh, with uh, future Bond villain uh, Christopher Walken, 
they were filming Brainstorm in uh, 1981. Um, uh, Dennis Deverin, who was the captain of uh, Splendor, said that um, he had heard them them arguing the night before, um, and uh, basically uh, she went overboard. Um, witnesses had heard her scream for help, um, uh, but um, Wagner refused to um, turn on the spotlights or, or notify the authorities. Um, it, the case got reopened in, I think, 2012, um, but it still kind of was uh, deemed a, uh, an accidental drowning, but with undetermined factors. Um, interestingly, uh, Jill St. John um, has been together with Robert Wagner. Uh, they got together on Valentine's Day, February 14th in 1982. Uh, Lana Wood drowned on the 29th uh, of 1980, 29th of November in 1981. That's 77 days between her death right. and, their, and their getting together, uh, two and a right. half months. So just a, just a little bit of interest for you there. And, you know, yeah. Jill St. John had been dating George Lazenby prior to this movie. So, mm. yeah. yeah, the overlap is uh, between them all is pretty, yeah. This is now a true crime podcast. <laughs> right. That was all really interesting, though. Another one. Is we Paul, even, Paul, Paul, Paul Lana Wood. I mean, she's not in good health over I mean, here and everything no. right now, and she's going to probably yeah. never find out what happened to her sister. Um, even the though way. there's people that people that know the answer. Um, well, here's, real, here's real another quick. Um, in in 2002, ABC showed this movie one last time, and they did with computer effects. Uh, That's right. Darkened uh, Lana Wood's panties to be black. What? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, so you couldn't Why? see so much. Oh. oh. So you wouldn't see so, the butt crack or and that stuff. So, yeah. so uh, just just a quick word. Um, obviously, uh, her sister has been died drowning. Um, she was uh, – yeah. Natalie was very scared of um, di- dying water. in water. And, um, la- uh, yeah, um, in dark, she was particularly scared of dark water, and Lana um, also had a fear of water. But um, particularly, uh, you know, there's two occasions she's thrown into water twice in this film. The first, that one that we've just seen there, mm. she was assured that it was would be a closed set. Um, she was very nervous about being put into the water there. But uh, they basically just threw her off a diving board um, to to large crowds. So she was pretty upset about that. Um, she does have she's a trained scuba diver um so she's you know i think partly because of the um you know the fear of water um and the sequence later on um which we will see when they are uh, in, in the vegas uh or sort of palm springs house where she nearly drowns in the pool um so uh both uh, both the wood sisters were had uh, some pretty nasty experiences with being uh, dragged underwater. Well, I was just going to, uh, this, this is, doesn't compare to that. I was just going to mention that Lana Wood was also in two episodes of the wild, wild West, including, I think the last episode. <laughs> uh, so this was not her first experience with a spy show. And I think it's also important just to sort of, uh, end that, that, that element. Um, 
there's this idea that, you know, that there are women who are disposable in the world of Bond. And I think Plenty O'Toole is a really good example where she has her usefulness. She's there to be sexualized and she's there to appeal to Bond and his libido. And then she is literally ejected from the film, um, like thrown out the window and then she's gone. And when we think about all the layers about uh, the actor and her sister and, and all of that, that it certainly fills out that that storyline, but just this idea of being so disposable that you are literally ejected uh, is, is something that's, I mean, it's a little startling to me. And, I, well, and they play uh, it off with a joke, but. And they, well, also, and they cut out a huge she, amount of her scenes as well. Her, yeah. She also amounts out, like, to being this, she also amounts to being the sacrificial lamb, yeah. you know, when we see her at the bottom of the pool, which, which yeah. as presented, I'm not sure that makes that much sense, but uh, it's, it's almost like they were ticking off a box. It's like, <laughs> it oh. would have, it would have made more sense if they hadn't cut out quite a few of the scenes that, mm, uh, right. Right. you know, that, that added to the, to the narrative. It made, it, it excused why she came back to that location and why they, why they mistook her. Um, yeah. You know, they, they mistook her identity um, kind of expunging that, not only does a great disservice to her character, but it also does a bit of a disservice to the to the plot and basically makes it kind of nonsensical. But um, but you're right, uh, Lisa. It's she's not just ejected um, physically from the window. I mean, they 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 just kind of went, well, let's just trim some trim some of this uh, these scenes out. We don't need to have that. So mm-hmm. she's she was not just disposable in the film, but disposable in kind of real life as well. You can see some of those deleted scenes on the um, the DVDs and the Blu-ray as well. Um, right. She comes back up to the room, sees Bond in bed with Tiffany, and then she goes through Tiffany's things to find her address. And then later on, she would have shown up at Tiffany's house. Winton Kidd would have been there, mistaken her for Tiffany. And then there we go. But I think, I'm not sure if, did they shoot the scene with Plenty and Winton Kidd? I think there are photos, aren't there? But... Uh, I don't know whether or not they shot it. That, that, I mean, that scene certainly isn't on the DVD or anything. There's also the, there's yeah. also the dinner scene, which they cut yes. to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be, and because it's the, di- the dinner scene that Sammy Davis Jr. shows up in. But right. that got cut out, so. I have a question. Imagine Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr. at the premiere. It's like, I'm going to be in this movie. <laughs> Did they even tell him? <laughs> what? <laughs> Sad. Yeah. So what? I have a- I have a question about about this film in general. How do you feel about Las Vegas being the location? Typically, Bond goes to exotic locations or he's in, you know, casino or high roller uh, card games. Here he's in Las Vegas. Did Las Vegas mean something different in the early 1970s that it doesn't mean today? Uh, Maybe in the 50s it did, but not in the 70s. In the 50s when Fleming was writing they they very purposefully have him enter in his in his dinner jacket, you know, looking as he would in Monte Carlo, and then he's surrounded by old ladies jerking off slot machines. I think it's a very uh, <laughs> intentional meta moment where you know the, the the world of Bond is is uh, is uh, something in the past at this point, which again I think feeds into that thing. Of this is this is now your dad's movie. It's not he's right. not living five minutes from now like he was in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I think that's absolutely true. I think. I don't. I don't particularly like Vegas. I, f- I find it kind of just crass. Um, yeah. If you go I, to Circus Circus now, it looks almost exactly the same. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. there's very there's been very little that has changed there, um, and it's also very kind of it's it's almost outdated because people still smoke in the casinos and everything. So you, it's almost like you go yeah, back right. in time in a, in a in a strange kind of way. 
Yeah, not and, to a good and the time. Smell. It's, and it's interesting, yeah, no, not to a good time. And it's interesting as well that, um, you know, the, one of the first line, or the first line of uh, Casino Royale is something like the, the smell of uh, sweat and <laughs> cigarettes and, you know, right. it, 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 it's, it's essentially like that, that kind of stale cigarette smell that you get in, in, <laughs> in the casinos. Um, but this, this moment always makes me think of, I think it's John Cork talks about how Goldfinger, like the world of Bond is so idealized when he, when he, it opens up at Fontainebleau uh, hotel, there's not a sign of a child anywhere. Yeah. There's no children in the world of Bond. And here you've got like these smart mouth kids mm. that are just annoying and, uh, I, I, I do think that this one, is the beginning Sean. of a kind of <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think that this is the beginning of some kind of deconstruction mm-hmm. for Bond, where he's putting him in the real world instead of this idealized, you know, uh, destination that you'd want to jump through the screen and be in. Now you're now you're here. This is just yeah, a you, tourist trap full of and children. You, and, and you don't want to be. <laughs> you're just like yeah. oh, no, God. yeah. <laughs> In its defense, I don't, I, don't, I don't like Las Vegas, but in its defense, it does feel appropriate for this film. And, you know, Amsterdam as well. Like obviously, Bond doesn't go to the red light district, but I think Mark Ooh. O'Connell says it in his book, Catching Bullets, there is a seediness to this film. And it's 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 in everything. It's, it, it is. It's grubby. It makes you feel like you kind of need a shower afterwards. And that's not right. what Bond normally does. And the locations <laughs> I... are part of that. Some of those the elephants right. celebrating yeah. the elephants. <laughs> I love I, the I elephant. Agree, Calvin. I agree, Calvin. Two, it's it, it's two, seedy. Two. It feels yeah. Oh, and two of the most here, problematic. We, two of the most problematic aspects back to back. James beat me to it. Uh, coming up. Ah uh, yes. Oh. oh <laughs> I always forget about I've this. Forgotten a, I've forgotten about this completely. Oh my god. Uh, oh yeah, horror is right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just. Yeah, this is to think that Gone with the Wind is now not available via streaming. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's back. It has an explanation in front. Yeah, maybe an explanation. This guy, this this guy is funny though. But if anything gets happens, get out of here quick. (laughs) It's like holy, holy hell! I can't believe that that this is tied to. Um, and again with the children as well. I wonder if that was a conscious thing to have so many children in this. If that was like, like what Phil was saying about this is your dad's bond. Was this like an effort to, obviously a child isn't a major supporting character or anything, but is it still sort of like a desire for, you know, the kids of the dads who are coming in to watch this at the cinema with their families? Is this supposed to be some kind of like, oh, you know, identifiable element? Like, you know, kids see themselves up on screens and then... After, after Majesties, we want everybody to come see this film. Everybody. <laughs> kids go in with your parents yeah like what a shift you're at the top of this mountain with you know bond and and his choice of all these beautiful women and now and now you're just <laughs> at this low rent casino full of children and, and racist uh magic oh it's yikes oh god it's this not is, i mean that's no, well, they spend the they spend a hot they, they spend a whole minute on it it's yeah. not like a passing thing. Wow. Connor is back. A return to greatness. <laughs> <laughs> it, does, it does feel like uh, you can come here and do these things as well. That whole Circus Circus segment feels like such a weird bit of product placement. Oh, and, John Gardner gets sh- and, and John Gardner gets shit not. for his Disneyland usage. Yeah, yeah. gets shit by uh, Michael G. Wilson specifically. Yeah. Um, um, to, to, to Phil's point about Vegas, I mean, I think obviously the the, the novel. Oh, this uh, 
this house. I just absolutely love it. Sorry, I was mm. I was about to go off on the tangent about um, you know Hughes giving kind of the keys to the city to to, to Cubby to kind of feel, film where he wanted to really. But um, I'm distracted by just how beautiful this house is, um, mm. and for all of the seediness of um, you know, I mean this is this is Palm Springs. Um, not, right, so, not, so, not Vegas, obviously. Quick, but. quick question. Quick question. Is it in Bond's character just to leave her drowned in the pool and not take the body out? Yeah. 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 Just sit, yeah there and, sit there and read a fucking magazine. Yeah. Just, just yeah. hanging out. Yeah. Um, just for the sake the, of dramatic, like he knew Tiffany was going to come and he was like, huh, my point is going to be extra uh, prompt uh, pointed. Let, it's going to really, yeah, it's going to really. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pull her out of the water. Um, yeah, quickly. What I mean, I think a lot of people know what happened with um, with Lana in this scene. She was tied to that block of concrete, literally tied to that block of concrete, and it um, slowly kind of made its way down the. Oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah, I yeah. forgot um, that we I've, forgot that he slaps her as well. Ah, I mean, this this is a great movie. I love it. Ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he's he's just he's just let a let a, a body lie in the pool and slapped slapped you across the face this is this is really quality quality stuff i've only um, just realized it if, oh no actually no sorry go on i was gonna say it's the guy hamilton films isn't it where it's uh, a lot of violence against women but then i was thinking about terence young as well and now it's there from a sure love as well <laughs> yeah i think uh, I, I don't think we can blame a, a, an individual necessarily on it i think it's oh no 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 i certainly wasn't trying to do that i was just sort of uh, thinking about oh yeah no because i think of uh, maud adams in man with the golden gun solitaire oh. tiffany sure. law it is a trope yeah so what were you um, going to say then about her uh, being tied to concrete They've oh kinda... yeah because of the slope of the because of the slope of the pool i'll let um i'll 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 let bill do his comment about the cougar in a second um because of the because of the slope of the the, the, the pool, um, the concrete just started sliding down, and she wasn't able to put her head safely above water, and the safety divers oh didn't gosh. notice. So she spent a few minutes there, just kind of quietly panicking as um, as she was kind of held underwater. Um, it, yeah, not a not a particularly nice thing to to occur obviously this is prior to her sister drowning but um still not a great experience um Bill. that's horrific nice like car. that makes the death that we see even <laughs> worse right oh wow right yeah yeah no so she genuinely was um you know panicking under that under that water and was held there for you know, for, for, she had to. She had to be resuscitated. Um, oh so, my gosh! Yeah she, yeah, she took she took on some water, so it's not a not a good not a good situation at all. Um, so, um, it's a, regarding the Mustang. I've seen it, um, and it's a wreck. Uh, at least when I saw it, was a wreck. Um, they were the in Fleming Foundation was trying to raise money to restore it. Maybe they finally did, but the last time I saw it, it was just it was in terrible condition. And uh, and in general, this is not a uh, great era for uh, automobiles in the United States. Anyway, they're like big and clunky and just um, 
because the uh, automakers realized they could make a lot more money by making these big land boats and <laughs> they're not very sleek. I mean, this is a Mustang, which was came out, you know, kind of sleek in the beginning and it's like ballooned up, you know, it's like somebody. It's, it, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's very difficult to kind of like see the, um, the, the, the DNA from, you know, the original Mustang to, to this car, isn't it? You know, you, yeah. you look at it and you, you kind of think, what what how is how is that really um how is that really kind of the same iteration of this guy you know and and this movie is uh kind of like a quinn martin tv show where all the vehicles are made by ford and uh, <laughs> you know it's like you don't really notice it until you like but until but when you do it's like oh i can't unsee that uh <laughs> ford van yeah, no exactly for that yeah yeah this um this this reminds me of drax's um kind of uh moonraker plant um hmm. you know uh so the so the joke oh, i mean we'll get to the moon the moon bit in a minute well, I guess, we, we, we we talked about on a podcast about space and mm. how prevalent were conspiracy conspiracy theories about did they actually go to the moon i think the conclusion we came to is they weren't very prevalent it wasn't a big pop culture thing about faking the moon landing and they were a little mm. bit ahead of it Yes, it, it was more of a thing, say, like 1978 or so, in particular, a movie called Capricorn One, where yeah. NASA fakes a, a Mars mission. But it's, you know, I think by that uh, point, people were like playing off the trope of, you know, that it was all faked. But it's quite a good little thriller that actually I quite enjoyed Capricorn One. Um, we get what one makes of the- me, what's made me laugh about this film is like they had to put a title card like about Zorin Industries not being confusing. Mm. Yes. Here we've got a fake company called Tektronics, ICS, you know, um, <laughs> not to be confused with Tektronics with an X, billion-dollar U.S. company, so, <laughs> which I once worked for. So, yeah. oh, which section yeah. were you in, James? Were you in G-section? Or- <laughs> yes, right. The star of a Jerry Anderson show. Yeah, and at one time, James Bond considered contender. Oh, oh God! This is if, a if, consolation if prize were, if ever there was. Well, and he was also in "You Only Live Twice" as one of the guys who was following the spacecrafts around at various spots. Mm. Ah, it's a great, so. um, it's a great little cameo, though, isn't it? I think everyone likes a bit of uh, Klaus Hogeschimer. Well, especially when he shows up later after Connery has, uh, you know, gotten the information and leaves, and then then in he comes. <laughs> I'm here and you know, radiation shields, and everyone looks. Top at tip, it. top tip. Think, He's a um, great go-to character for fancy dress parties at short notice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think they they called him uh, Hergesheimer just just to upset Connery? Um. <laughs> <laughs> something calvin said about connery being able to pull off bond pretending to be someone Ooh. else this is another great bit where yeah. it's you know, mm. yeah we do it and he gets he gets upset when metz tries to shoot him away we have our authors <laughs> he may not be as important to the operation as you are <laughs> it's just, i love how proud he is radiation done. shield yeah i know it's, yeah. it's lovely Nice. <laughs> Ironically, Bond would forget to put one on in the world is not enough and get gets a 
get caught out by Christmas jokes. And of course, and of course, it's script, supposed to be in the script. He's handling plutonium, like yeah. Bruce. You got to take that out. Um, yeah, it's interesting considering it's supposed to be the same character. You know, there, there's um, your double bill. It's the radiation shield double Oh, and here's the same guy. He's a Spectre guy who's working with Mets, who we'll see later with the infamous uh, two minutes and counting. Oh, I've never yeah, noticed so just, that. Yeah. Fun, that. Fun fact, that's a, tech, that's a real Tektronix oscilloscope in the fake Tektronix company. So <laughs> how they did get sued, I will never know. Mm. Oh, and um, then here, here comes Ed Bishop again, like just right after Connor. And that's, it is funny. I, that's the children with the cameras. Yeah, really nice. And they all look at him, and then the music. Do 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 do. What cut? Sorry. I wonder what. I wonder what Connery playing golf here. Sorry. Yes. Oh yes. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. It's a great photo. What are they doing? And there's probably like stuff in their suits that mean they can't move that fast. Oh, they got slow motion gas. <laughs> They're method uh, acting. It's 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 the best I can come up with. I'm sorry. That's it's it is weird. <laughs> this whole thing. Why did to facilitate this contraption? Oh, I, I I broke character. I'm sorry, son. Application <laughs> this year now. <laughs> this uh, this this design by Ken Adam, you know, looks it looks great on paper. Um, but you know, when you see the, the wheels came off. Yeah, you see, we see one of the wheels fly off in a, in a minute, uh, which is quite amusing. Um, but you know, the original sketch by Ken Adam is kind of like, oh yeah, that does look kind of like a like a good moon buggy. But then when you see it in this sequence, it's 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 just laughable, really. Well, well, he, my understanding is what Adam was trying for. He was like. Basing it off the real moon buggy, but just trying to make it bigger and more grotesque looking and Ooh. whatnot. But yeah, it's and cheap. When, the, when the wheels come off, it's not, it's not very practical. I want to know how this vehicle fits into Blofeld's scheme. Like, because we saw the diamond satellite being constructed. Was there like a phase two to the plan, which was to like get to the moon and do something there? Was he ahead of Drax on this? I'm no, very I just, confused. I just, take it, I just take it that Willard White was a uh, contractor to the US space program because at this point, we mm -hmm. still had moonshots, you know, because mm. uh, the last moonshot, I think, was 72. Hmm. Um, and uh, Ford, oh, yeah. Ford Motor Company like, supplied vehicles, but I don't think this was the best image for them. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they fall apart rather easily, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, uh, so, this, so just quickly on the little motorcycles or the tricycles, um, they are called ACC-90s. Um, they were developed um, – they're, they're essentially the first uh, all-terrain vehicle, uh, supposedly. Uh, they were developed uh, by Honda in, in Japan. Uh, the, the, the development deal was basically to be like um, come up with something kind of for, for the U.S. market that they can have during – that's a, the wheel of the moon buggy um, – yeah. that they can, they can ride during the, during the, the off seasons. Uh, and, and they were basically put together by this one guy who just kind of found random bits of different bikes and put it together in, like, in a basement. Um, 
they, a point they of view were, shot coming up there. A bomb yeah, point they of view were, shot. Yeah, they were um, they were notoriously doing. Yeah, well, you just seen they were notoriously dangerous, and because so many people had uh, very serious accidents on them, they were eventually withdrawn from the market. Um, they look very cool in this movie, but uh, they're extremely dangerous. See, Bond would um, look cool just if hanging he around. was. Bond would look cool. I mean, he looks cool now driving it, but like take away the moon buggy and have him hop on one of those earlier on and just be driving through this desert. I think he would just look so much cooler than whatever we saw before. That shot of Bond, it reminds me of like, like a kid that's too big for his tricycle. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, a six foot two man on a Japanese bike. It's just, uh, <laughs> and, and this bit where he just jumps off and runs. Yeah. It's like, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is nice. Uh, no one at this company wondered what that bright red car was doing at the entrance. <laughs> Fred, maybe call the sheriff. <laughs> Kinda sunk oh, in about fifteen minutes too late. <laughs> so they obviously they they shut down the the strip for the for this uh, chase. Well, they, they shut down like two blocks of the strip. Because yeah. we keep seeing the same block. Yeah. <laughs> um, the gold nugget pops up like twelve times. And a Barbera cartoon where the same background keeps going over and over again. <laughs> so true. <laughs> but they also, you know, all the crowds came out for the filming, so there's yeah, it's, it's yeah. so obvious that the people are just staring at it. Um, like, yeah. I mean, Vegas hasn't changed very much from what we're seeing here it feels almost like well i think it's gotten bigger and more garish yeah (laughs) well this would now be considered old vegas Mm yeah right the fremont street experience Mm. versus the new strip so uh, I love my James Bond sheriffs. Uh, this particular Las Vegas sheriff will show up in Live and Let Die as uh, Sheriff Pepper's brother-in-law, I think, or something mm, like that. No, I, think he's- I, I think he's just another guy. He's like, oh, you're he's, right. He's, yes. he's like there at the that barrier they've erected, but Bond just plows on through it. Um, mm. roads. But yes, it's the same guy. No, yeah. no question. And uh, also... Well- some of these shots, I mean, some of these shots are obviously on the real strip, but like when we get to, oh, it's like a parking lot, that's like at Universal. So mm. some elements of this chase are done in Hollywood, including, mm. I believe, when Bond goes into that narrow alley. But um, he, you know, he comes out in Las Vegas, but he goes mm. in, in at Universal. Um because um, it's the gold nugget again. <laughs> you going by the gold nugget. Um, it's all the crowds, God. I, I'm acquainted with a guy who uh, is now a film it's professional. Gold nugget again. He was hanging around Universal when they were filming the uh, the Universal portions of this chase, and he was telling me about. It. He was there when they did the thing going into the into the alley. So yeah, so this stunt work is obviously Paul Baxley coordinated um rather than bob simmons coordinated like okay this parking lot i think is universal i think this is you know they they put up a sign to make it look like vegas but this stuff which is all you need apparently yeah (laughs) 
I hate this whole sequence in the car parking lot. It's so lethargic. As like, if this is like the big car chase action of the of the film, it's so like the camera work is so dull and static and. Ugh. Yeah, yeah it's uh, no, I, I, I agree. I feel like this is kind of like a physical representation of Connery's body at this point. <laughs> 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 oh. Oh. Little, little deli, yeah, that, kind of hairy. That, that, that jump, yeah, I think that's also just, just kind of out well, of, of course, its prime. You know, Bond mm-hmm. can make the jump, the police cars can't. Larry, Larry, Bill, can you hear me? Bill, uh, Bill you can yeah, answer Billy this. Th- there. This this seems to be like early days in terms of like redneck cops uh, chasing a protagonist, like which Burt Reynolds really exploited in the years following this. But yeah. is is this the first kind of uh, instance of this dynamic? Why, it, if it's not the first, it's probably a really early one. Particularly having Back to the a golden nugget again. Yeah, <laughs> particularly having a suave protagonist. Uh, oh yeah, the dead end. Okay, so. Yeah, this I think was done at Universal um, because originally Universal was going to be the home base of the production, and then they changed it back to Pinewood. But uh, you know, they got there eventually. Yeah. This year, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh wait a minute, oh the shots don't match. We got to put this little insert thing in. <laughs> Ridiculous! <laughs> <laughs> got the pioneer, which we have seen before. They, they could have just mirrored, mirrored the shot and nobody would have noticed. Yeah. <laughs> well, they had to they redo that, that shot, but... didn't they? Because, well, yeah, they had to redo that shot because Ooh. of the crowds, but they didn't seem that bothered about the crowds earlier on when they all just stood around watching the filming. I think it was, um, I think it was the fact that they couldn't reverse the the, foot, the, the, the image because there was signs in mm. when it comes in. So that would have, that would have, you know, the interesting they did that in T two, uh, Terminator two, where. Um, they had to reverse an entire image and then digitally change all the signage around as well to read the right way around. Um, so um, <laughs> Tiffany has finally figured out, oh, you're really James Bond. And I think this, this bed is really cool, though. I mean, it's sort of, I know it's not comfortable, but <laughs> I love, probably not comfortable hey, at all. You have to have a chiropractor on retainer. Right. But I think it's interesting that shot of her over um, uh, Connery's shoulder, it reminds me of Fiona Volpe in Bed with Bond, where he's referring to her as being an animal, and you have sort of the symbolism of the bed frame that looks like a wire cage, and she's animalistic, whereas here, I'm not sure what message is being sort of sent forward through the use of, say, you know, aquatics and, and fish and things like that, but it definitely leads us to a stunning shot of just St. John just sitting there sort of in that with that white uh, fur on top of her in this bed, not comfortable, uh, not sure what the symbolism means, but this is definitely a memorable shot from the film. Wasn't it? Wasn't it she, she, just, she's impressing Felix uh, with. Uh, wasn't, wasn't um, it just uh, the, the, that it was in the script as a water bed? Yes. <laughs> taking it quite yeah, to another they level. They literally oh. they were like literally. Let's make a water bed. How do you get the dead fish out? One of Felix's men is named Hamilton. I don't think that's a coincidence. (laughs) This whole thing, as a kid, when I first saw this, uh, when he just steps out onto the the elevator like this, uh, I think this is about as Bondian as as he gets in this movie. Mm. Um, Particularly the fact that he's wearing a tuxedo. 
yeah. <laughs> instead and this, of a and more this, practical outfit. And this camera coming back on this shot, it's just I love yeah. the shot. It's just it's so mm-hmm. good. He's 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 pro it's like if you ever wondered whether like, you know, Connery still had the you know, the minerals for this. Um <laughs> This this shows that he's just. I mean, the way that he's standing as well is just so fucking casual. And By the way, just, another point of view shot from Bond mm. when he was looking just yeah, a second I, ago. When there's more of them than you than you think. Didn't think this through, did I? <laughs> I was going to say I love that that he's so confident about stepping onto it, and then it's like, oh, hang on a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Second thought. Oh, maybe this wasn't the smartest move. No, but how do you go back to my theory? I'll take my gun and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it's interesting that this film, when whether we're looking at the scene of him in the casket or this scene right here, I mean, there's this potential death, but you see that he kind of looks scared. Like he's like, oh crap, maybe mm. I didn't think this through. And I'm not sure if this is something, <laughs> but I'm not sure if it's something that actually uh, is characteristic of his other films. Like, I'm trying to think back. He seems to be a little bit more, even if he's taking a risk, he's a little uh, bit more self-assured. Whereas here, he just seems to be like, oh, this could be bad. And and I think it's an interesting I, dynamic. Maybe Goldfinger with the disarming the bomb in Goldfinger when he, he kind of just thinks, oh, does, God, I've he, just got a guess. panicked for a bit, like, yeah. oh, crap. What do I do but that's that? the only thing I can think of later. Uh, I can't, I can Dr. almost. Little gauntlet. I can almost not watch this. This just literally gives me the, the, the <laughs> fucking heebies. I like. I am. I know that this is all kind of like a set and you know back blue screen and all that kind of stuff. I just genuinely like like. No, nope. look at that. Oh god. Oh. <laughs> now, no, now, now, in Ve- now in Vegas, you have to pay twenty bucks to do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can do that fly that flying thing, but off the but stratosphere. Just, and that's, oh, um, and, and that's before after. That's before or after you uh, play tic-tac-toe with a chicken. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was up the stratosphere about 10 uh, years ago. I couldn't do the rides on top of that building. I was far too terrified. Uh, this uh, makes it's a good me... Thing yeah. a, it's a good thing there's they, a little... They let, little, little they let you bungee off it now. Oof, yeah. God. Ah. No, no, no. Nope. <laughs> nope. Um we talked to Bob uh, briefly, uh, I think in, um, well, not briefly, we, we went quite into it. Uh, when we, we talked a lot about, about toilets. Toilets. Yeah. And here we, and here, here we are about to, um, about to see another great bond toilet moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a you know, tradition. You get your elevator moments, you get your toilet moments. And I, and I like uh, the dialogue with Blofeld slash Willard White. Well, you've got some business to take care of, son. You go right ahead. Meanwhile, <laughs> I think you're wearing a hog leg. Would you mind taking I've it off? Have seen a swivel toilet in any right. other form of media? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know what? You're right. But now I want one. <laughs> See, audiences at the time would be like, who has a telephone in the toilet? Fast forward to 2020. <laughs> yeah, all of us. <laughs> I think, Four you know, the fa- it's, it's also the... Um, the, the, the kind of the brutalism of Ken Ken Adams kind of design this toilet you know that this kind of uh, <laughs> angular kind of thing going on in there and then suddenly it's kind of like oh and we're just going to throw a swivel toilet in there it's kind of this now, weird ju- juxtaposition a real subtle thing Bond shows his real gun but he managed to keep his little python gun hidden yeah, yeah. that was a slick move um, mm-hmm. yeah 
and, and I love here this we set. have. Uh, yeah, assuming, oh, assuming yeah. he had spare pitons, right? Which, yeah. which uh, that circular thing in the left side of the screen was would be duplicated in Die Another Day. Oh, I managed yeah. to get that in. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that, and the safe is like the golden eye safe. The golden eye safe um, is sort of in the back. Um, right idea, 007. Um I just, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful set. Um, and I think one of one of Adam's best. And up until this point in the film, we haven't really done anything like this. So it, um, Adam, it apparently it Adam out. didn't have much of a thing for uh, rails. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're on your no, own. They're not. They're not Blofeld isn't ADA compliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, this this is a this is a kind of an interesting idea. I think that the plastic surgery of Blofeld, you know, um, was was originally in uh, the novel on Majesty's Secret Service, where he, where that's why that Bond couldn't necessarily recognize him. So this mm-hmm. idea that um, he's changed his appearance and his identity um, mm-hmm. is is actually quite Fleming based. But it's also one of those things where, like, I kind of question, like, if I was not the real Blofeld and the other guy who may be Blofeld is in front of me, like, I'd probably kill the other guy and just take over the empire. Like, you have to have a lot of faith in these people, right? Like, I'm just like, kill them all. I need Blofeld. This is my place. I just, I, you have to have a lot of faith in people playing this role and trusting them oh, to play it right. Well, that's big people with no ambition. <laughs> do you have any ambition no no sir all right well you're hired to be my double (laughs) and and what would have have happened anyway if if Bond had killed the real real Blofeld surely the other guy would have just got it's the idea that he would have just gone okay fair enough (laughs) uh, (laughs) this is interesting as well I mean Bond is actually seriously Using thinking about using that uh, fake rocket model rocket Ooh. whatever, mm. and Blofeld called you know calls him out on it, so he gives up on the idea. But at least he was thinking, he was mm. trying to think a little bit. Oh, now we've got. <laughs> oh, gets wrong, uh, Bond. I don't. I don't like cats, so <laughs> seeing them sort of uh, freak out doesn't amuse me. So, so each cats. Blofeld comes with their own cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta keep it as a set. Meanwhile, Blofeld's like, why didn't you just kill Bond? And, and okay, you just like lost your last double now. Mm. You just killed the guy when he was sitting on the toilet. I know we mentioned the beauty of this set, but I have to also just stress again the beauty of this set. Like to me, this is like a highlight of this film is yep. this entire room. I love the floor with, again, I mean, if you're going to be the, uh, maps, uh, the, world. the map of the world, but it's also yeah, like, yeah. like your entire, um, uh, what you're doing, like your plan, which is a typical sort of bomb thing and a Connery thing. Like, mm. I'm just going to show you my, my entire master plan. I love the stairs. I just love everything about the metal and the space mm. and, and, and it, the representation of it. Like it's getting me really excited. Like Compared to all like the uh, Vegas scenes and stuff that are like, meh, this is just stunning. 
I I 100% yeah. agree, Lisa. It's it's the, for me it's the highlight of the movie. Um, you know this this wonderful this wonderful room. Um, also, also I'm about to say also Blofeld has the um, discipline not to spell out the whole planet because mm-hmm. Bond asks, "What are you going to do with those diamonds?" An interesting question. One will be on the lips of the world quite soon. I wonder, you know, he steps aside there like that because he's kind of. We see later yeah. on. We see we see in um, Spy Loves Me, um, yeah. Yeah. Spy, um, <laughs> the floor. Obviously, I wonder if that that kind of was taken from that moment or this moment where you know he steps, you know, puts his feet either side of the, in case the bottom falls out of it. I mean, I don't know. It could be. Um, oh, and the gas coming down from the ceiling. That's to be used again. And went and ki- Oh, here we go. The uh, there it yeah, is. Fatal mistake by Mister Wint. Mm. And Wint and Kid drive another unglamorous Ford Motor Company product. Uh, <laughs> like an LTD. Um, it's like um, it's like. Yeah, this is um, that 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 parking garage is almost like uh, you know Iron Man's kind of garage, basically. It's the Batcave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. What, it's else, like, this what is... else were they doing down there other than parking the car? Because it this, is a Batcave. Bit... Right. Look at that. Yeah, Gotham City, fourteen miles. <laughs> <laughs> but that for me That's also a... is another connection with you only live twice. Like how Calvin said, like it, it, this film looks like it started in Japan, but there's so much underground uh, stuff with Tiger Tanaka and his organization. Mm. So when I see Ooh. this, I think I, my mind goes again to you, sort of the, the connections or the commonalities between these films uh, from the Connery era that in some ways work back to back. Hmm. Uh, Spectre did some uh, best practices research and uh, Oh, Japanese Secret Service does this. Oh, this sounds good. <laughs> this. this is a very elaborate way of disposing of uh, bombs, <laughs> ineffective. Yeah. And also, yeah, <laughs> that'll do it. And the um, little laughs they have as they drive away. Oh, we done it also now. we did we didn't sort of mention, but that when the when the the, the entrance way opens up. Uh, from the passageway it's a foreground miniature and i it's so obvious yeah. now looking at it it seems almost comical but um so i you know it's always kind of you know what if they did a remake of this they would make it a hologram hmm. with cgi yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or just not do it so okay so and, like it was the previous night that Went and Kid put Bond in here, and this is, looks yeah. to be like the middle of the day, and it's like, and it's like the next wow. night. So Bond has been out for about twenty four hours by the time he comes to, apparently. Yeah. yeah. To your point, Ben, if if he's in the trunk of the car, why do they have to come out of a secret exit? Right. It just. Uh, <laughs> why not just drive out the hotel? You spend so makes, money on it. You got to get use of it. It, it makes no sense at all. Anyway. Um, the traffic. It goes back to what I said earlier. It's like, this is the kind of thing you don't, you're not supposed to think about you're halfway home from the theater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Bond suddenly discovers he smells funny. Mm. Uh, and there's lighting in the underground. <laughs> well, James, apparently uh, they don't use. They can't. The- <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, the Bob carry finally those. sniffs himself. Oh, mm. sorry, it's me. Sorry about that, old boy. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to do an intercut sequence with the world is not enough. Just having Brosnan <laughs> coming towards them. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just like, oh no. Um, Does Connery have a pain face to match Brosnan's pain face? <laughs> that would be interesting to do side mm. by side. Uh, uh, on the rack in Thunderball. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say so, the same thing. Somebody has to do that. Somebody, you know, like I, I can, can completely see the sequence together, you know, with uh, Christmas Jones disarming the bomb and him doing this. Is um, that this machine that he jumps on based on anything in reality? Like what? Um, what, is, what is it doing? Is like it sealing the? It's, it's like welding yeah. the pipeline. Right. Yeah. Is that a? a I have no idea if it's real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm. oh no. I suspect not. So this is like this is about like two days after you know Bond, <laughs> Bond comes out. It's like, has anybody been looking for Bond for the last two days? Uh, but I love this moment, just, right? Out yeah. of the blue, just sort of popping up in your tuxedo in the middle of the desert, being like, here I am. Right. I, to me, there's something that's very sort of classic Bond about that that particular moment. And here we get the pink tie or the pink mm. bib. The pink kipper. Mm. <laughs> is, is that an infamous thing in, in Bond-style circles? Yes. It is yeah. with me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know I, much um, about the style, so I, yeah, I defer. I have to say, I, I, I rather, I rather like it. Uh, it's a little short. It should reach his well, um, his waistline. Short but, fat um, ties were a thing in the early seventies, early to mid seventies. Um, well, I do like, I do like the color. I think it's a lovely. I, I definitely wear that tie. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I quite like it. Such, it. Yeah. A late um, friend of mine, he couldn't stand it. That, <laughs> I won't even get started on the pink. <laughs> it just adds to the whole camp vibe this film yeah. has going for it that's I true love it. I, I think it's think it's great um i think um i think um on the desk there there's a nameplate uh which is albert r saxby yes there's a, that's right. uh, there's a kind of um i i, I sorry i just couldn't see whether we'd, we'd seen it or not and i didn't want to miss miss anyway. that little uh cubby reference so anyway, Bond was in the pipeline for two days. So I, guess go... gave, I guess that gave <laughs> Q enough time to fly over from London. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. Um, so what, what's the deal with the it being... House. Yeah. I was going to say quickly, what's the deal with it being marching Sorry. music? Was that an in-gag or something? Hmm. Oh. I um, anyway. Also, in Mankiewicz's first draft there was another opponent for Bond to get by before he got to the house. It was like a guy dressed up as a cowboy and I forget the details. And uh, anyway. It's another weird instance of him just sort of like repurposing the imagery from, uh, from diamonds from the novel. Mm. Probably. Probably. Cause weren't one of the Spang brothers dressed as a cowboy in the, the last third of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is the mud bath. This is John Lautner's um, Elwood House in Palm Springs, um, which is uh, just an absolutely beautiful home. Um, they had some issues, like, uh, securing it. Um, when um, Ken Adam came over and did some location scouting, he was basically, I want to use this house. It's perfect. I don't have to build a set. It's almost exactly my style. Wow. Um, and apparently the owner was um, reluctant to allow them to use it. 
Um, however, uh, Sidney R. Korshak, the uh, very famous um, fixer, mob fixer. I was about to say, yeah, lawyer, lawyer and fixer with the connections to the to the Chicago outfit, uh, the, the the mob. Um, he uh, um, so this is a quote from uh, from Ken Ad. Uh, the gentleman who owned the house was not that uh, not at all helpful. Uh, Cubby rang Sydney, and within thirty minutes, we had the house. Um, oh my God! Um, <laughs> also helped get uh, Jill St. John hired for the film. <laughs> Um, I, I, I think the thinking was originally, oh, she'd be good plenty of tool. And then, well, we'll just make her the lead. That's right. And, um, in 1976, the New York times ran a multi-part series about Sidney Korshak and, uh, they assigned, uh, their ace investigative reporter, Seymour Hirsch. He worked for them at the time. This ran like, I think four parts. It was like four massive stories. And so I, I read about Sidney Korshak before I like really got deep into researching Bond. And then suddenly I'm reading about this film. Oh yeah, Sidney Korshak did this, Sidney Korshak did that. Like, whoa, like I knew, I knew this other stuff about Korshak and, oh, okay, that's interesting. Anyway. There's not, uh, he was there's less stunt he was, man Bond here than I would have thought. Hmm. <laughs> He's getting his ass kicked. Sorry. Yeah. Um, which makes which I mean, makes the ultimate beating of this duo in the water ridiculous. Like these two yes, women definitely yes. have his number. As somebody who tried gymnastics, I can't do any of that stuff. I mean, I can't slip, <laughs> I can't split, I can't do anything. But they really have his number and they're really a menacing pair. And then to see Ooh. him just like, I don't know, drown them like with two hands, like neither of them can use their hands or their legs to get him. I just sort of don't buy his defeat mm. of, of them. There is a weird uh, feelinization, if that's a word, uh, of yeah. these two gymnasts. Like they aren't, they move like the, their movements are very cat-like, yeah. both of yep. them. And yep. then the, the yeah, and then the idea that they're both sort of yeah, that once they're in water, they lose their powers almost. Uh, <laughs> and, and supposedly, the idea for this originated with Guy Hamilton when he was like watching gymnasts on TV and thought, you know, if you did this. I bet I could drown them. <laughs> <laughs> no! Oh, no! True, know what, but yeah. You know what? It's like, you know, they shouldn't have, like, dived in the water. Like, no, that's bad on them. <laughs> they, should have, they should have, like, run, got a gun, and shot Bob. That's what they should have done. But. Oh, well. Not yeah, it seems, it, seems, it seems ridiculous that, that they suddenly just uh, are completely powerless in... in and she can swim. She can I, swim. I, <laughs> they're showing I, you she can swim. I think. Why did they die? Why did they the dive in? in? Pink tie made them <laughs> lose their faculties. <laughs> Damn! If you hadn't been wearing uh, that pink tie, I'd have beaten the crap out of him. So I've got I've got a quick story about the Elrod House. If anyone's interested, um, I, I yeah. My first trip to to the. Um, to California, uh, I was desperate to go to Palm Springs and see all the all the architecture. I'm a bit of a mid-century architecture uh, buff, and the Elwood House was uh, high on my list of places to go. Obviously, being a Bond location as well, um, so uh, I went up this road to where I knew it was, and uh, but I didn't realize it was a private road and you weren't allowed up there. Um, so I kind of snuck 
there's a lot of trails around there. I kind of snuck up one of the trails to kind of get bypass the security uh, fence. Um, and the woman who was the head of the housing association um, came out and said, what do you think, what do you think you're doing? Um, and I said, oh, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm just going up here. And she goes, well, you know, this is private property. You're not allowed up here. And I explained that I come all the way from London and I just wanted to see this one house, but she was having none of it. And she basically chased me off the, off the, off the land. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go down this, um, this other little, this other little path down here and maybe circle around. But she cut me off. Right. And she kind of ran down this, like ran down this desert pathway and outside Bob's Bob uh, Hope's uh, old house, which is also a John Lautner um, house, I was confronted by her, and again, she she threatened to call the police on me if I didn't leave. So that was my experience, uh, my first experience of being in Palm Springs. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, anybody my, who's my, dealt my, with HOAs in America knows they're basically paramilitary operations sometimes. So, <laughs> so the bit where the bit where Felix and Bond are, are down at the bottom of the base of that hill, uh, I actually ended up having to just go there, and you know, you get that view upwards, and you can see the house. Um, so that was as close as I ended up getting to, uh, to it. You got uh, the Burt Saxby end. view of the house. I got the Burt Saxby view. I did. This is super camp, isn't it? I love this. <laughs> bit of, uh, bit of cross dressing. Uh, it's yeah. Again, it's just like, God, if you're coming to this after Majesty's secret service and you know, you think of Tilly Savalas <laughs> as this, like, you know, really macho Blofeld and then you come to Charles Gray. Yeah. So, yeah, I love it. I love Charles Gray. I absolutely adore him. Just a jump to the left. Oh, yay! <laughs> uh, the first time he's been mentioned by name. <laughs> into it. Oh, no. God, we've only got half an hour left as well. We're going to have to mention him some more. Sure. One one of you folks mentioned on, on a previous commentary about the way uh, even Fleming just sort of reimagined Blofeld from, from book to book. Yeah. And... Uh, Charles Gray seems to be the closest physically to the On Her Majesty's version of uh, Blofeld for Fleming, with it with his silver hair and, mm. and his uh, he wasn't he wasn't the big ox that he was described as in Thunderball. Mm. Um, Shane Rimmer, sorry, I'm assuming that Charles Gray was cheap and yeah, yeah. could like come to the set like the next day or something like that. I'm guessing that's how he ended up. I've never actually like read any sort of like casting information about how he got this part. Cause it seems really odd, but, uh, well, did, did they ever, did they ever try to recast, uh, to sort of cast the same actor twice as Blofeld back then? Question. Does Telly say no? I don't know, but or know. originally they were looking at bringing Gert Frode back again. Oh yes. Yeah, Goldfinger's oh, right. uh, twin brother. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yes, that was that was back during the uh, Maybaum phase of scripting, because they kept uh, talking about we've got to like got to get back to Goldfinger, got to get back to Goldfinger, and when they were doing Majesties, like some of the early drafts, they had the idea of Goldfinger's twin brother, and they dropped it, but then they brought it back in the early drafts of this, and yeah, and there's supposed to be a line where Ark, Auric, you saw. And you know some line like right. that, which you couldn't get away with today, but that was one of the lines. Yeah. Oh, wasn't wasn't the uh... unpublished interview about casting this movie with somebody who worked on it? Um, we won't name them, but their comment was, "Above all, comma cheap." <laughs> <laughs> well, while they're paying Connery so much money, they had to like economize somewhere. Yeah. Mm. 
<laughs> once so, once I got Connery, it's like, okay, how can we like all right, gotta <laughs> We can get our mob connections involved and yeah. get houses and people for cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just never heard of any definitive story about at least attempting to cast, say, uh Pleasant's twice or or Savalas coming back or anything. I, like I don't I don't think they tried either time. It's I just think I don't think Pleasant's not a priority yeah. back then. I don't think Pleasant's would have come back, would he? Uh, experience, maybe. Pleasance yeah, was still I, mad about the cat clawing him when he got yeah. when the cat got panicked. <laughs> like I'm not coming back for one of these. <laughs> That's a joke. If I, the I, cat's I coming back. I'm not coming back. <laughs> Me or the cat? You have to choose. So who's who are the actors who have who have played Blofeld multiple times? We've got Anthony Dawson um, as, as a, just as the body. And Waltz. And, that's it. And just Waltz. <laughs> For the voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The guy who did the voice in the we're, first and couple. Eric Pullman. Oh, Eric Pullman, yeah. Pullman. Eric Pullman, yeah. And we're about to have a series of so convincing special effects here. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was um, Albert Whitlock. <laughs> Albert, Albert Whitlock was the American uh, special uh, effects guy, and night. Wally Beavers was the British special effects guy. So uh, which one did which? I don't know. But. Mm. Whitlock is no slouch. Yeah, no. exactly. He did Hitchcock. Uh, That's yeah. the whole population of North Dakota running away from that missile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just noti- I just noticed just before the missile exploded, the guys were like, they froze. I mean, it's just, I mean, yeah. I, I don't mean, I mean, yeah. literally, it's just a straight <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. this this scene is like this whole sequence is supposed to be showing us like world devastation, like oh my god, this amazing weapon that Blofeld has, and it's like it's it's like what half a dozen guys <laughs> throughout the world. I think we're gonna go to North Korea soon with the or China. Great- no, okay, well, a Soviet submarine now. Uh, submarine. Which, uh, given how the Soviets always cover up anything bad, like no one would know about it for six months. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Sorry, General Gogol on the telephone to Triple X. We've at lost that point, another at that point Gogol was just a colonel. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's another one of the rare movies yeah. where a nuke actually, <laughs> nuclear weapon actually goes off. So, by the way, uh, do yeah. we consider Norman Burton to be the worst Felix? Yeah, uh, he's, he's got the worst uh, gig. I mean, he's probably given quite a lot. Probably to the do, most and he's, unmemorable. Yeah. yeah. Worse is probably too harsh, but yeah, it's just he's just kind of there. I mean, I got the impression he was cast to make Connery look better. I was like, okay, this is in China. Oh, uh, yeah. And, oh. Does yeah, that same squashed mushroom cloud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Hans fiddling with that missile model again. Like, he's really got a thing for that. <laughs> he's thinking, I, I, should, I should have grabbed it and threw it at <laughs> Damn it's his souvenir that he's just he's one the one thing I that he took from the movie it. and his paycheck. Um, that's right. That's, wow. that's a special part of Connor's contract. You get to take any uh, prop. He I was going to was going to give it to Cubby Broccoli as a chair. It's um, <laughs> it's rare that you get a, a set that is is so uh, used three sixty like this. You know, you see, yeah, like you know, you're seeing usually you get reverse. a set. Yeah, you usually get like just the kind of the the, the, the three walls, so to speak, hence the fourth wall breaking okay. kind of. Coming up, thing. I think this is actually probably Jimmy Dean's best line because. Uh-huh. 
Baja? I don't have anything in Baja. I don't have anything in Baja. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, it's great. I think everyone says oh. that. I, I, you know, it's 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 it's, 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 it's almost it's, it's almost right up with Kai Kai Cairo as a memorable line. Yeah. For me. <laughs> So how I like do the guys deal? mopping the helipad, sorry, small details. No, no, no it, but it, it, it sort of connects to how do you feel about, you know, this oil rig being the final spot where the oh, climax is happening versus, you know, other locales or bond eventually going to space? Like, do you feel as though it's, it's, it's special and spectacular or it's just, you know, it's there? We could get it because it was uh, it, it, it had been closed off. But this sequence, I, I just want to make a quick comment. The unsung hero of this film is a helicopter a pilot named, named James <laughs> W. Gavin, um, who was a leading helicopter pilot for various TV and movie productions. And they were supposed to do a run through and it's, there was a miscommunication and like the explosives were set off and Gavin's in his helicopter. He had the presence of mind to get his cameras going. And like Ooh. some of those shots end up in the final film. And then there was like a lot of hell to pay when, <laughs> when, it, when the dust cleared. I, um, I do love the if in doubt ask. Science. Yes. That's <laughs> the, <laughs> you know, Blofeld in his penthouse, no qualms about safety. But no. Yeah, this is oil rig. Anyway, just to close on Gavin, he, he, I mean, he had a long career, um, you know, doing, like I said, TV shows and uh, movies, and uh, people thought he was great. I, on the um, making of feature on the DVDs, Jimmy Dean talks about the helicopter pilots. They scared the hell out of me. And, uh, but they're just a different breed and he was just a, he was a great pilot and, uh, he was born in 1935, died in 2005. Um, anyway, just well-respected in the field. So he worked on this film. This is um, a quick, just much, much unloved bomb vehicle. Yeah, <laughs> the, hamster, the hamster, the hamster wheel. Um, <laughs> Um, it took Q twenty seven years to develop something similar to this to protect from uh, avalanches. <laughs> very, very good, Calvin. Very good. Uh, Q was following best practices. Um, <laughs> hey, Spectre did this. To answer to answer Lisa's question, um, I, I believe that the original ending was supposed to be an assault mine or something like yes, that. Yes, it was. Or, um, the definitive and, end for Blofeld. Uh, yes, Bond, Bond kills event. Blofeld without question. Yeah, um, which is, I think, would have been a more interesting kind of uh, visual. There was, there was also uh, whole sequences on the on the lake outside of Vegas with the boats mm. and everything, which got cut for budget but, reasons. Um, I, I don't, I don't hate the idea of, a, of an oil rig. I think it's a fairly cool kind of Lofeld layer, so to speak. But I just think it's also primary coloured, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it looks, it looks fairly kind of. It's like a Mondrian kind of uh, oil rig. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you, you can tell where the Ken Adam bits have been sort of like tacked on. It doesn't yeah. feel like a seamless thing. And the and the villains' kind of henchman outfits are just. Stupid and orange gloves. Why do they have lightning bolts? Why do they have lightning I know, bolts? I know it's like you had you had the Spectre octopus, and it's like was yeah. this like what did was there a trademark dispute? Did they like well we'll just have a <laughs> thunderbolt? Um, like it's boring. 
was McClory acting up at this point? Yeah. I don't think so. well, He's got the ring. There's right there. Yeah. What's the what's the close up of Bond's shoulder about? Like to show that he's been because up or be, because the uh, he, there was a tape he tape was, was going to substitute for the real tape, and it was yeah, hidden, hidden in his, his uh, suit oh, coat. Right, and he had been searched, and they found it, and they ripped out his go. suit coat. Ah, uh, okay. So can we uh, talk about a- the tape first for a second? I mean, you have all this technology and like it hinges on that little tape cassette that's not even like you literally can just walk up and eject it out and it falls to the <laughs> ground like it's not even secured. If it's supposed to be the linchpin, wouldn't there be, I don't know, a little bit more security or you have to do something to get to it? It just seems, you know, it, it's functional for the movie, but it doesn't make sense to me. Like this core element is just there in plain sight. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit. It is a bit of a weak. Uh, but they didn't have like you know during the nineties. It was all like CDs, wasn't it? Discs, mm-hmm. like mm. it's all That's discs. Right. Yeah, but um, at least they made the golden and- eye disc like look like a special thing. This mm. tape just looks like what mm. my mum would play in the car. Uh huh. Young. Yeah. Exactly. Expect um, Celine Dion to come out of it. Quickly about. <laughs> just, just quickly about Jill St. John. You know, Tiffany K starts off as, uh, you know, a pretty sassy character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she's she's a she's a major kind of part of this smuggling operation. Um, she's pretty well respected amongst her peers. Um, by the end of this movie, um, her IQ is down to she, twenty. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Full on damsel in distress. I don't know whether it's something in Connery's pheromones that does this to women. Um, He's weakened her resolve. By the way, we, we, we just passed one of the funniest lines in the film. It says, well, right now the satellite is over Kansas. Well, if we destroy Kansas, the world may not hear about it for years. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would love to see a sitcom of Blofeld, Metz, and Tiffany Case just like on this oil rig for like about half a year before Bond turns up. I think that would be quite <laughs> fantastic. I think they make a good trio. With, with streaming services, you don't need like full seasons. You can do like six episodes. That might <laughs> there might be enough for six. <laughs> Blofeld's company. Yeah. Um, oh, she's she's dressed more modestly now. Uh, somehow, hi Ernst. I love the hi Ernst. Hi Ernst. But I think you know you raise a really good point about her representation. I mean, at the it, when we first see her, yes, she's wearing very little clothing, but she's in control of her image. She's in control of her business. She's utilizing sort of her sexuality to be disarming. Whereas at the end, she feels it feels to me, especially when women are on uh, the layers of of these villains, it feels like she's being a little bit paraded around, and that she's not in control, and that she becomes more of the butt of the joke rather than being in control. And that is Mm -hmm. a a devolving. And just as a sidebar, I have an article coming out in November where we did uh, audience studies and research studies uh, to see what audiences want in in, in terms of a Bond girl. And it's interesting that being a damsel in distress is very, very low 
on the mm. list. Like 10% said that they like damsel in distress, whereas qualities that are based more on competency, skill-based uh, qualities, uh, for all demographics, they were charting much higher up, which suggests that, you know, when Bond is in the field, he should be partnered up with somebody who can support him rather than being taken along for the ride. So I think audiences in, in a general sense want a woman who can do something rather than simply just being there and, and being helpless and then possibly even being a liability to Bond. At the end of the oil rig sequence, Jill St. John is that, basically uh, doing a, I was about to say, at the, at the end of the oil rig sequence, Jill St. John is essentially doing a Lucille Ball imitation when she's trying to fire the machine <laughs> yeah, she, gun. I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, man. you're not wrong. I was just going to say shout out <laughs> to that hen- shout out to that henchman who just uh, is probably the only person who's actually just taken Bond out, like <laughs> you know, without any, without any issue at all. He just went smack, and you know, um, <laughs> promote that man. Promote that man. Well, he has Calvin. He has already got four lightning flashes on his sleeve, so I think he's oh, top of top of his, uh, his game. Oh dear, kind of mocking. Tiffany's like hi Ernst but you know and like why would she be so comfortable like hanging out with Blofeld well she was in an illegal diamond smuggling chain mm. you know a couple mm. of days ago why are they even so- keeping her alive like why is she even like he does just sort of like take her along after Las Vegas for like well c- come on then and you know Charles Gray being the very camp man he is I, I think that he's having any um, kind of yeah illicit thoughts about her yeah. This is this is getting very Majesty's, uh... isn't it? This is very Majesty's Secret Service, isn't it? You've got like the the helicopters coming in, members of the distinguished well, press, so. distinguished members <laughs> of the world press uh, coming in, and then Bond is put into a, a again an easily escapable storage cupboard. Um, <laughs> yeah. that's, 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 that's the new line from IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> But it does remind me slightly like of, of Majesty's, you know, like the whole kind of the, sure. the, the, the escape sequence for Bond, getting out of this, um, the, out of this little storage room, uh, the, the attack mm-hmm. helicopters. It's very, it's, it's very Piz Gloria. And it is. It opens the question when we talk about: Is this a film that's supposed to come after Honor, Majesty, Secret Service, or is this a film that you know and is supposed to come after You Only Live Twice? And is it remaking and reworking in some senses? You know that end scene in order to rework the ending. And and mm. and mm. well, if it is, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the answer. The answer is yes. <laughs> it's kind of however you want to play it i think there's an there's more than one if in doubt ask sign and there was another they sign really, when bond was going there into was a that, problem employee six months ago there was another sign when bond was going into that area uh they locked him in says no pollution not any yeah the, <laughs> there's two of them just if you had any doubt about if you had any doubt iPhone in the in the back pocket there. Uh, let me see your iPhone 10, please. Um, <laughs> uh, he's from Star oh, Wars. Great sideburns. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that the, the to your point, Lisa. You know, it's interesting. They are kind of reworking this ending, but uh, what? Oh, he dies just like that. Um, what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they are sort of reworking this ending, but you know, one of the things they didn't kind of really do particularly well was was resolve Blofeld's demise. Um, 
and it's just kind of like um so in that sense i kind of i think it's i guess it's a failure we don't get any closure on this at all really um Ooh, bad visual effects. Yeah. <laughs> well well we sort of do in the beginning of for your eyes only in a wink wink yeah. sort of way but yeah. uh, sure but here it's like the, the fact that the Bond Blofeld showdown comes down to like Bond at a crane and Blofeld's just be like, stop it. Don't do that. Lower. Not lower up. away. Oh, the, the bathos sub. Uh, famous, that famous. We'll, we'll see here in a minute is, uh, was done by George Barris, who also did the Batmobile. Batmobile. And, uh, and, and that sub does I, have an octopus on that. it, Bill. Yeah, it does. Mm. Yeah, it does. Some real sloppy branding. I, 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 I love that Calvin. Calvin pointed out um, his famous last words. Um, you know, <laughs> are not like "I'll I'll see you dead for this bond" or anything like that. It's like lower. <laughs> yeah. Just like such a <laughs> such a shit kind of last line from Bogol. It, it's marginally worse than I'll buy you a delicatessen in stainless steel, but neither are <laughs> excellent exit lines. No. no, they no not. I still don't know what that means. Apparently it's <laughs> I a, still don't know. Still it's, an joke. it's an Italian-American thing. It's a, yeah. Yeah, it's a mafia thing, I think, isn't it, Bill? Uh, uh, I like, like that Cubby Brooklyn was so bothered that no one would get the Alimentary Canal line, but that delicatessen. My Italian friends will appreciate that. <laughs> oh, God. And let's not forget about Uncle Pat. But, oh, I'll forget about him. But, um, <laughs> never mind. I do love I like, the Blofeld's like the rankings. Like... Oh, sorry, go on, Ben. I was just going to say, you got. I love the ranking systems on this. You've got the, the standard kind of stormtroopers in blue, and then you've got like the SS stormtroopers in black. You mm. know, um, yeah. like it's, I, I just, sorry, I've just been silly there, really. I just think it's kind of stupid. Inf- um, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, the Inflaming Foundation also has the Bath of Sub with the little um, Spectre Octopus. I think oh, it, was, it was at the Bond in Motion exhibit. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay, the guy Connery just threw out is a stunt guy named Dick Crockett, who was a longtime associate of Blake Edwards, uh, working both behind and in front of the camera. He played Gerald Ford in a uh, Pink Panther movie. Very weak as well. All it took him was that two foot tall, uh, you know, yeah. drop out of the crane to be passed out. <laughs> that yeah. Was it. Well, yeah, Dick Crockett was again another stunt legend. So, sorry. <laughs> this is where this is where uh, Connor, right, this is where Bond learns to to use the the crane, which he'll use to great effect in um, Skyfall. Uh, yeah. So again, this just doesn't seem like a very satisfying revenge for the guy who killed your wife. No. I'm going to bounce you around on this crane for a little while and then forget about Meanwhile, it. Meanwhile, as Connery looks up, you can see a lot of gray hair, and as the sun, you know, that angle, it's like. Sure. Um, 41. Yeah. <laughs> 41 going on 61. Uh, yeah, 40, as you yeah. said. Yeah. God, this whole thing with just the bathos of very slowly banging into <laughs> the side of the thing. Mm. I just went, Richard O'Brien to pop up saying, so got 10 seconds, are you going to look in? Yeah, it's like 10 seconds <laughs> and counting. Okay, okay. Here's uh, Jill St. John doing her Lucille Ball imitation, about to fire the machine oh, right. gun. 
here we go. I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's good oh, physical geez. comedy, but um, it's I it's so bad, so bad. So bad. I, 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 I laugh. I, I know it's a terrible, you know, last act of this character um, in the action, especially how she's portrayed earlier on. But I do just find it so craply funny. So the whole climax is just very silly and so it's, crap. It's, and it's, it's up trying to hit the satellite dish and just goes, fuck it, I'm going to slam it into the control room instead. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, but we do get to hear uh, the 007 theme from John Barry as this uh, concludes. Hmm. And like, wow, oh, so, what happened to Blofeld? So uh, who cares? <laughs> He's just still <laughs> dangling in that yeah. pathos. Of I, I think all these shots of the yeah. explosions, that's probably what James W. Gavin got when they, uh, despite the miscommunication. Yeah, so it's like, in the days when people didn't care hmm. about, you know, blowing up oil rigs and the environmental impact that I would have. Yeah. Oh, pink tiger. Yeah. So this is from the novel, as we as we all probably know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and and in, and in fact, uh, Mankiewicz in his first draft even had Bond rappelling down the side of the ship into uh, Winton Kidd's compartment to rescue uh, Tiffany, as in the novel. But uh, they said, "Ah, screw it. We'll uh, <laughs> just put it up on on the deck." I think it's one of the set. best parts of the novel, like because it's Bond and Tiffany, and like he's really fallen for Tiffany, and they kind oh. of set her up as like, oh wow, he's gonna marry this lady, and uh, right. after the last few books where his sort of female conquests have either left him or have mm. died or whatever, and it's like, oh wow, with Tiffany, it's really gonna last. Um, obviously, it doesn't. Yeah. But... <laughs> I like and- the I like in the novel the way that. Um... He he figures out that these two are you know um, are, are the baddies. Like here, it's just obviously it's the the fragrance, as Bill mentioned earlier. You know, uh, having right. uh, that he remembers the fragrance, um, and again a, a kind of a red wine with fish kind of throwback. Um, mm. but, is it, is but, it the only is it the only film in the series where he doesn't know the henchman's the henchman until the very end? Yeah, uh, I think so because he's never seen them. They bopped yeah. him on the head back in Las Vegas, right. but. Uh, um, which is which again is from the is from the novel uh he doesn't he doesn't know it's them until um he they they make a bet on the um the crossing time and they they bet heavily on the fact that uh, it won't it, you know that there'll be a late crossing rather than an early that's one. right and they know that because that that they'll be murdering somebody <laughs> um mm. which alerts bond to, the, to that um thing but yeah but bill's bill's right Meanwhile, Wynn Kid, like, okay, they presumably don't have an employer now. I guess this is just for professional reasons. Like, <laughs> we're going to get this guy. <laughs> fun. Yeah. Were breadsticks a delicacy in 1971? I've, only, I've never really focused on the breadsticks on that tray, but it seems like a very elaborate <laughs> way of presenting breadsticks. Um, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I was 13. I, I can't think, really I tell you. I don't think breadsticks have ever been a delicacy. <laughs> <laughs> Mind do you, you, think you, that, do you sorry. 
I was just going to say, do you think that they're following through on the contract? Because I, I've watched yeah. a couple of other like assassin shows where like a contract is a contract. And even if your employer yeah. dies, your like reputation is based on fulfilling it. Yeah. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it and I've seen too no, many of these. I, but... It's, it's, I, it's, it's just as reasonable an explanation as anything else. Okay. <laughs> Moonton Rothschild is a Claire. That's your red wine with fish kind of mm, reference. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a but it's a very kind of uh, again, it's Bond knowing his wine that basically right. saves the day. Um, Connery's paint face. <laughs> that's actually it's actually it's actually a very very cool way to dispose of somebody like the right. And, the, and the, some the, of those the, shots the are actually George the, Leach instead of uh, Putter Smith, but uh, yeah. But that's a horrible way to go. Again, I mean, yeah. we talked about Bond oh, being yeah. in the box, but you know, you have you know him, the, one of the 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 hench people dying because of it. Well, and and, and Wynn is clearly upset about this. Yeah. You know, it's that's his what lover. Makes it good and, that the, hench, the hench people are, mm. are a couple because he's mm. very upset when that happens. Yeah, versus mm. just, you know, it's my colleague that's going to. Before we get to, to this joke, yeah. but uh, we should yeah. completely all the potential in the scene. Yeah. Dang. Mm. And he left with yeah. his tail between his legs. Ah, oh, dear. <laughs> when I mean, we open our Bond restaurant at the Bond theme park, <laughs> we're going to have a, a Bomb Surprise. Yeah, Bomb Surprise, yeah. The Fred lead. Sticks. The lead. <laughs> Quiche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, red wine with fish. Be um, <laughs> on the mate, yeah. But Obama Surprise has to be at the lead uh, of the dessert menu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm very glad that I spent uh, three hours researching uh, the Mafia Connections last night. I felt like that, that really uh, was time well spent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you did, Ben, because uh, <laughs> we gave us some interesting uh, sidelights to go to. <laughs> Oh, yeah, many more that I didn't um, <laughs> didn't get to use any of it. It's interesting that Aston Martin gets a, a credit there, um, even though... Yeah, for like one did. scene, essentially. Scene. Wow. Mm. <laughs> that essentially, as a visual joke in the you know, when Q's on the phone to yeah. Bond. We have a few seconds left, Ben, if you want to tell us any stories about the mafia. Uh, I think uh, I think I might leave it for um, for another, another podcast because it's because uh, <laughs> it is it is a genuinely very interesting um, story. Uh, mm. But we'll uh, I think we'll we'll ha- we'll have that as a cliffhanger as the as the credits Ooh. end. The credits roll. We've got a cliffhanger. Um, uh, and uh, so they knew they were going to do Live and Let Die, but they had no yeah. idea who was going to be in it. Yeah. You know what? I think there was like a little edit in there. Like I'm thinking that "Live and Let Die" reference was maybe a last minute thing. Hmm. It's like a. Um, I may be wrong, but it looked to me like there was like this little snip, and then you saw that you know the end of "Diamonds Are Forever" and James Bond will be back in "Live and Let Die." Oh, you know, you're right. Yeah, there's a slight fade to black, and then yeah. Sorry, I'm just running back over it now. And then the positioning of the diamond satellite changes, and then it fades back up with the yeah. diamonds are forever. Yeah, interesting. Be, be, because Mankiewicz in the Live and Let Die making of uh, featurette talked about Broccoli and company approached him like, okay, here are several books. What do you want to do? And then he said, I want to do Live and Let Die because it would be controversial. Um, I don't know if that explains that little edit, but I wouldn't be surprised. 
Hmm. Anyway. So what do we think about this film and where it <laughs> ranks in the uh, Bond pantheon? Well, I'll go first and say it ranks dead last. Oh, dead Whoa. last? Wow. Whoa. Last. Okay. Yeah. I, there's actually, I think, more redeeming features in The Man with the Golden Gun because Christopher Lee's performance, I think, is better. But um, the location is a bit more exotic. But um, it's it's there's a there's not much between them as far as bottom of the rankings go, huh. I think. Well, I don't think it's aged very well, Diamonds, um, at all. In fact, the longer we go, the more stale and um, just uh, like milk. Really. <laughs> well, can I talk about it from the um, perspective of the time? Oh, yes. Which, which I'm not disagreeing with anything you said, James, about the weakness of the film. But like, I, I got to tell you, when the idea Connery is coming back, whoa, it was like, and in fact, in the summer of 71, I saw these this ad for this Sean Connery movie called The Anderson Tape. Is this the Bond film? Oh, it's not the Bond film. Hmm. I still saw it, but, but like, but like Connery's coming back. Really? I mean, people, it, it was a hangover from the 60s spy craze. Definitely. But um, the idea that Connery was coming back, like everybody like kind of like brushed majesties off to the side. And um, well, it was, it, it just really oh, seemed it, like a big thing at the time. It wasn't hard to brush Majesty's aside when all the publicity did exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. pretend you didn't, that didn't happen. The real James Bond is back, you know. Way to go, kind of back your own product, right? And I talked um, yeah. a couple of podcasts about how that, you know, there was that double feature with Majesty's and Diamonds. And it was like, so by that time, it's like 72 or 3. And it was bef- definitely before Live and Let Die came out. And like, I could enjoy them. But like, you know, at that age, you know, like two years, you know, if you get two years older between like 13 and 15, like, you know, it's, it's, that's a lot of time at that age. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I watched them very carefully. And, um, yeah, I don't know. But Connery still had a lot of charisma at, at that time. And, I don't know. It was, it was such a, the idea that Connery was coming back was just, it, it kind of overwhelmed everything and probably more so than it should have. But anyway. Well, to the point that it actually gutted the budget to the detriment of the film as well. Right. Because we didn't actually see what should have been, <laughs> we should have had some kind of resolution of the whole Blofeld thing, but we didn't. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's that's one of the things that I, I I really dislike about the film. It isn't uh, you know it isn't so much the campiness, and although I don't particularly like that about the film, uh, tonally I don't you know I don't really like it. But more more than anything else, it's just that there is no there's no resolution to it. You've just gone you've just sat through you know hours of um, of all of, of, of this kind of narrative. Plus the fact that you've had several films building up Blofeld as a as a villain, and then you know a previous film where you see, um, you know, the most egregious thing that you can do to Bond, you know, uh, killing his his wife, and all of this setup over several films uh, over you know over a decade of kind of 
you know, building this guy up to be the, the most evil person possible. And he's just left in a, you know, in a, in a submarine. In a, yeah, it's just, it's, I just would have liked her there to have been a, a more kind of a decisive um, ending to it. Well, it's also the disconnect of the showdown. I mean, Bond's in a machine pulling levers. Blofeld's in a capsule yeah. getting swung around. They're not even looking at each other in the eye. No, this it's not satisfying. It's not satisfying yeah. at all. And, uh, you know, genuinely, the, thing, the things that I like most about this film are the Alrod house, mm-hmm. the set, the set of, um, you know, Blofeld's kind of penthouse set. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm drawing a blank on anything really else. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, there are some, Witten Kid are quite, you know, kind of good, good value. But uh, most, I mean, those are the things that I kind of get most out of it. You know, a bit of, a bit of Ken Adam and, and a bit of John Lautner. You know what? I would also say that John Barry delivers a great score. Um, yeah. The problem with uh, the film, it had a Christmas release. So when the soundtrack came out, they went and have the soundtrack come out the same time the movie did. And the original soundtrack had maybe music from maybe half the film. And there was, a, um, in 2003, there was like a expanded version that was much better. It, it really is a good soundtrack, but the original soundtrack release is kind of lame because it just like three of the 12 tracks are like variations on diamonds are forever instrumental. Mm. So, um, something like that. I will that. say that. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, you're right, Bill. Um, I, I will add that to my comment. I just, I do. I, I think that, uh, Barry's score is great and I, and I do like the opening track. I think it's actually a, it's a really nice song. Um, I don't know where Phil and Lisa are gonna land on this, but if I, it, it, I may be the sole positive voice for Diamonds Are Forever on the <laughs> podcast, uh, so I'll go ahead and give my wrap up now. Which I should preface by saying that um, Diamonds Are Forever, along with Moonraker, was the the uh, VHS double bill that got me into Bond in the first place. So <laughs> I do have a soft spot for this film and it probably accounts yeah. for a lot of my taste when it comes to Bond that I saw those two films first and was still like, ah, oh, I want to know more about this franchise. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I completely agree with your criticisms. Like it is a completely unsatisfactory ending. If you're watching these things in order and this is the seventh film that you come to, God, it must be so disappointing to have that as the, you know, to follow up Majesty's Secret service with this is really kind of miserable um however i do think that the script while the plot is really kind of all over the place i do think that the dialogue in this is especially good just like little witticisms and moments and comebacks and I, I, I think it really excels in that. So I think it does well in those little moments and i do love the campness of it like charles just a jump to the neck, Ray. Yep, I was. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. sorry. Uh, I was. I was waiting for my cue. Um, I, I love him as Blofeld. He's uh, and, and Winton Kid. I really like. I really like Jill St. John as Tiffany Case, even though her character completely ru- is ruined by the end of it. Um, and despite mm. all that, I just I think it's really silly fun. I do have a good time watching this, and I laugh a lot. And maybe that's not the what you should get out of a Bond film. But I have a much better time watching this than I do 
uh, uh, Spectre, Quantum of Solace, Doctor No, um, yeah, and a good time is what more, I want. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Calvin. It, it, it's at least kind of more fun. There's, there is yeah. there is definitely a sense of fun about it. I will, I will if you're looking at it from an ITV Sunday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's definitely something, you know, like a Boxing Day movie. Um, it's, a, it's a lot more enjoyable tonally, I guess, than, say, something like Spectre or Quantum of Solace. So, mm. um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll concede that point, definitely. Uh, I guess I'll go next. Um <sighs> I don't really know how I feel about this film because there are there are elements about it that I really enjoy. And I think Ben has brought up, you know, some of the, the, the highlights. Um, I think that there is some fun. I mean, I'm someone who likes Man with the Golden Gun. And when we get to it, I know that it's problematic, but that is a film that I grew up with. So there's that sense of nostalgia that that, that tugs at my heartstring with that film. I don't necessarily have it with this film. I, I didn't watch this film a lot when I when I was growing up. I'm more of a more era uh, 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 a fan. I think for me, when I when I watch this film, I, I definitely try to see what fans see in it, people who voted for this, uh, what can I take, what is of value, but I'm constantly pushed up or pressed up against just these little images of, of, of things that I find problematic that are sort of uh, puncturing the bubble that I'm trying to create um, or punctuating it. Um, and I think the representation of women just is a bit troublesome. I like Jill St. John. I think that she has been... Um, a great um, advocate for James Bond. Um, she's someone who has spoken positively about being a woman uh, as part of this franchise, and I have a lot of respect for her. Um, but I do think her character certainly falls away in terms of her agency. Um, I have issues with Plenty O'Toole in the way that she's treated and mistreated now that I know about the, the background and, and, and the filming. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely you know, there's elements I like, there's elements that I find problematic. And this is not a Bond film. If I'm sort of sitting here on, on any day of the week that I'm like, I think I'm going to put diamonds are forever in. It's <laughs> not one that I'm going to be reaching out towards. Is it the, is it the worst of the worst that I, that I don't know. I mean, I loathe Spectre. So <laughs> by the time <laughs> men ask me how I feel about this film, you know, and where, where it ranks, well, but it's, it's not it's- on my top 10. Is part of that the unsatisfactory ending and the weak ending of Blofeld? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to have so much fun when we get to Spectre. Oh, I can't and, wait. And, and, uh, and, and don't forget a hastily rewritten third act. There's a lot in common mm. yeah. between Spectre and Blofeld. We need a great drinking game. When we're watching Spectre, like, Ben, you better come up with something real good because <laughs> I need to uh, like, be taking uh, sips. So... So the so the drinking game perspective is just <laughs> just drink a bottle of Jack Daniels and and then press play. Um, <laughs> Pinter fifth. Because it's just yeah. whatever works for you, babe. Whatever works. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with something. God damn, what a movie! I can't wait for that. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, here's here's, here's here's my diamonds are forever uh, hot take. It's out of out of out of twenty four movies, it's the only one like it. It's very it occupies a very weird spot in the franchise because Connery left and then came back. 
Uh, and so you've got a Connery who believes, even though we know he's coming back in 83 unofficially, he thinks it's his last one. So he's kind of fully checked out. And, and it gives you this weird glimpse of what a 70s Connery Bond would be. It's the only one that you've got like that, right? right? Just two years later, Live and Let Die with the same director and I believe the same co-screenwriter is a completely different kind of film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's just something that's weirdly singular about Diamonds Are Forever that makes me feel like it's a glimpse into an alternate reality where Connery kept doing them into the 70s. And I, I sort of appreciate it as an outlier for that reason. Yeah. Uh, I think that I mean, yeah, it, it's. I don't think it's successful, and it doesn't. As, as Lisa said, I'm not compelled to put it in the player very often, but I do think it's a weird one. That's kind of it's. It's very much its own beast, and I. It makes me wonder if if Connery wasn't so disgruntled. He, you know, he's for, again. We keep going to his age, but he's 40 here. He could have done 10 more years of Bond movies, and mm-hmm. what would a 70s mm-hmm. decade of of Connery Bonds have been like? Would he have dragged Sidney Lumet along, who, who he seemed to really enjoy collaborating with, and taken them to some maybe a more spe- a serious space uh, after getting this one out of his system? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, I I I kind of I get sad when I look at Diamonds Are Forever because I think Connery could have done much more interesting stuff with the character had he stuck with it and had he been interested in sticking with it. Mm. Yeah. Playing the older Bond, Bond as an older character. Do you mean Phil? And just sorry, playing Bond as an older character versus his run in the sixties. Yeah, I think that it could have gotten a little more interesting. Um, Connery, Connery kind of kept fit through the seventies. You know, he could have thrown that rug back on his head a few more times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and you know, so and that's ultimately the most interesting thing about Never Say Never Again is that it's you're seeing uh, an, an aged 007 who is uh, the age is at the forefront for a lot of it. And again. In, in, much like you do with diamonds, you get a weird glimpse of what an '80s Connery Bond would have been. Um, so there, there are glimpses at things we could have had but didn't get ultimately. I think, which is interesting. Uh, I can't defend any of the Blofeld stuff. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know if we're supposed to take this as a continuation of You Only Live Twice or a continuation of Honor Majesties or or just take it on its own. Which is, you know, that's probably the best way to do it. Uh. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird one. I just want to say real quick, um, when this movie came out, I was 13 and I was convinced this is it. No more Bond movies. Hmm. And then, and then, uh, was either a kid in the neighborhood or a kid at school said, no, there's going to be another one. I said, what are you talking about? said, at the end of the movie, they said, James Bond will be back. Live and let die. What? Really? I, 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 sorry, I left the theater before we got to that point. <laughs> and it's like, really? And like, I was stunned. I, cause I figured, you know, cause it seemed pretty clear Connery was done. And, um, yeah. And, <laughs> yes. it, okay, and, in, <laughs> and in 1972, there was a book called James Bond in the Cinema, published by a guy, an author named John Rosnan. Uh, no relation to Pierce, as far as I know. And like at the end of that book, he is like questioning whether the you know Bond can go on because it's like unlike yeah. Tarzan, like Bond is so tied to Connery, it's like this may be it. This might be the last one. Like 
people were like yeah. seriously asking that question in 72 whether bond could go on you know what bill i think there'll but, be a generation of fans that grew up with craig that'll be asking the same thing after no time to die oh god it was in the reviews in 2015 yeah right they were like it's time for these to go away this this white man porn has to end uh that that's that comes up every time there's a star log in 1989 where timothy dalton himself is going i think this might be the last one yeah no <laughs> absolutely right. absolutely um, and the Cinefantastique review of Man with the Golden Gun started with the subhead, James Bond is dead. Oh, well, um, there was a Marvel Comics. It was a black and white uh, magazine uh, dealt with like Kung Fu comics, but so it had a cover of uh, a Neil Adams painted cover of Roger Moore uh, doing Kung Fu fighting from the Man with the Golden Gun. But the lead article that that went with like was one of the Marvel comics writers at the time named Don McGregor. He like scorched the movie. Like he just like, this is horrible. Bond is like, Oh, you've betrayed bond. It was like, Oh, I, I mean, I read it in high school. It was like, I still remember it. Um, yeah, no, people have been like burying bond for a long time. And, uh, yeah, unsuccessfully, just like Winton Kidd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but 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 the Brosnan book in '72 was probably one of the first attempts to do that. So the follow-up took a big ding at the U.S. box office, *Living Let Die*, without Connery star power, but it made more money worldwide. Yes, in fact, hmm. worldwide it made more money than *Thunderball*. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, some of my American Bond fans, I tell them that they like don't believe me. I said no. <laughs> I'll give him a link to the source. Like, no, it's like, yeah, Living Let Die did not do quite as well as uh, Diamonds, but worldwide it was a humongous hit. And some of my, like I said, some of my U.S. Bond fans who never liked Roger Moore like, are still in denial about this. But <laughs> on the Living Let Die thing, one last thing is like that was eight. That was released eighteen months later. God, wow, yeah. So reboot, new actor, eighteen months. I mean, so they, they must have been writing. They must have been they, working on the script, and that's why they insert the card at the end, right? Bill was living that yeah. die. In a yeah, dance. that makes sense, James. And, and you know, the fast turnaround on that, you kind of got to. I guess if you're introducing the third Bond in as many films, um, you've really got to kind of hammer it home whilst it's still in the public's kind of um, consciousness. Mm. Um, you know, ride high on that success of uh, the, the financial success of Diamonds, and because um, right, you know, if it, and, if it had been two years, who who knows what that would have. And Mankiewicz yeah. said he made a kind of an attempt to entice Connery, and well, it's got a boat chase, it's got this, and then Connery said, "Forget it, I'm not coming back." Um, I'm going to go make those two movies that MGM pre-greenlit for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you a and, and only one guy made sorry. called The Offense, and uh, yeah. which was directed by Sidney Lumet. Um, and Anderson tapes, or, or was that uh, that was enough for Diamonds? Uh, that was before Diamonds, but uh, anyway. So he never did make his two UA movies, did he? Just one, yeah. Um, but then he uh, he also then you know donated he did okay. salary, didn't he? Yeah, because <laughs> right. yeah, apparently he did don- donate his one was it one point two five million salary yeah. to Scottish one, but the, he kept the back end points. 
he got a big percentage and um and had the movie gone uh um over time he would have gotten a lot of money as well so he did f- just fine uh yeah. even donating the salary all right thanks, so uh, t- yeah thanks Ray. um next week all right i'll go first i'm gonna do thunderball i'm like finally gonna do it like i'm sticking with it thunderball (laughs) phil you want to throw one in guest of honor sure uh i was gonna say thunderball so i'll I'll just say specter instead (laughs) (laughs) bring it (laughs) no (laughs) No! (laughs) gonna have to do it eventually all right lisa what would you like Tomorrow never dies. Let's get Michelle Yo out here to kick yes. butt. Let's have it. Let's have it done. Yeah, we can sign off on the Brosnan era. Yeah. All right, Ben. You can well, um, potentially split the vote for somebody here with your so choice. I had, I had, I had two picks, um, and they have both been picked. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna. Oh God, I guess uh, I'll go with. Uh, the man with the golden gun. Ooh. All right. Yeah. Um, so there's no act, I, there's no actor split this week, which would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's why that's why I've particularly chosen it. Um, it's not. David's got I a fifty fifty chance of a good week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow never dies has a lot of interesting subjects to talk about. So mm-hmm. if that gets picked, I'm there. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm all over it. I think it's a, I think it's a great movie, and um, I, I love Michelle. You know, uh, she's great. So I'm I'm looking forward to uh, actually doing that movie, um, but I'm also looking forward to Thunderball when it uh, when it does does come around, despite the underwater sequences. Um, <laughs> well, we'll come up with a strategy to keep ourselves entertained during that. <laughs> Got a Rubik's cube ready. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! I've got a two thousand piece jigsaw puzzle that I could do. Um, uh, yeah. So you yeah, know what? Right. We managed to get through a whole week um, without a klaxon. So thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say two episodes in a row without the klaxon. That's it. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's I haven't it, edited. Yeah. Ah, but I haven't edited the last one yet. So uh, you know. I'm pretty sure there's no reason to bring in the klaxon for that. You're just going to add one in to make Bill's comment now look like. Yeah. (laughs) That's going to look silly. All right, guys. Thanks very much. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Take care. Diamonds are forever. They are all I need to please me. They can stimulate and tease me. They won't leave in the night I've no fear that they might Desert me Diamonds are forever
Diamonds linger 